want to send everyone over to hankstrange.com. Go there, sign up for our email list. Um, the website is the best way to keep up with us and all the things that we're getting up to. So, you know, check out hankstrange.com. So, for example, you can get patches over there at hankstrange.com. You can buy them right there. If you're looking for, like, our T-shirts and stuff like that, it's from Ballistic Inc. I believe they're having some problems with the website, so that should be up soon. But in the meanwhile, you can get the patches. So there you go. I also want to thank Franklin Armory for sponsoring the podcast here. Uh, big shout-out to those guys. We appreciate them doing it. Uh, that being said, I am going to smash the open button and get going on this show. Welcome back to the Hank Strange Situation. All right, Lifestyle make sure you guys subscribe, thumbs up, ring the bell so you can be notified every time we go live. We've got two new guests above Richard and myself. And uh, let's see, it's Owen, and then we've got Knox, and they're from the American Suppressor Association. Guys, we do this thing called Jazz Hands. You don't have any choice. That's why I didn't tell you about Come it. You there. have to do it. There you go, Jazz Hands. We are live. I hope you got your big girl panties on. This is episode 598 of the Who Moved My Freedom podcast. I'm your host, Hank Strange. Like I said, we've got Owen and Knox of American Suppressor Association, as well as Richard Hoffman of BWE Firearms joining us here. What's I'm up, everyone? I'm here to cause trouble. Yeah, well... <laughs> Yeah. Uh, don't make me set Lola on you. <laughs> Shout out to everyone who's out there joining us. Please smash those thumbs up. Share this video if you can. If you have, um, I, well, you guys could take general suppressor questions, right? Not just the association stuff, right? You guys know about these cans, I'm assuming. A little bit. A little bit. You better. (laughs) Yeah. So if you guys have suppressor questions, if you've got questions about, oh, man, there's been a lot of stuff that's happened in our world when it comes to uh, silencers, suppressors, whatever you want to call it. I think these guys will be able to answer that. Um, Let me see. I'm going to introduce Owen. I think you're the one that reached out to me, right? Yeah. Yeah. I uh, I reached out after saw one of your episodes uh, with our, our buddies there at Liberty Suppressors, uh, okay. Dave, Dave and his family. Um, you know, they were early participants in in starting the ASA. They were at some of the very early formative meetings, so mm-hmm. uh, you know, we've always followed them. And uh, so, yeah, I just I saw that and I said, hey, let's let's talk suppressors. Okay, cool. So, thanks. Thanks for doing that. What do you do at the American uh, Suppressor Association? Yeah, so I've been with ASA for about four years now. After about ten, almost eleven years at a Gentech, for eleven years, moved over to ASA, and uh, I'm the director of outreach. So okay. my job is to interact with our members and and connect them with with industry, and just share as much about the suppressor industry as we can with them. Okay, I hope that everyone heard that because someone who shall remain nameless Richard, was making a lot of noise just now. <laughs> so, yeah. yeah, he's still doing it. No, stop it, Richard. Mute mute yourself. Mute yourself. So, uh, okay, all right, all right, let's get to Knox. Knox, um, tell us, tell the audience out there who you are and what you do at the ASA. Yeah, man, so I'm Knox Williams, the executive director at American Suppressor Association. Um, this was kind of my idea back when I used to work at Advanced Armament. Uh, mm-hmm. wanted to be able to hunt with a suppressor in Georgia. Knew we couldn't. Knew that the best way to do that was form an association, kind of a nonprofit group where we could all work together. So uh, fast forward about nine years, and here we are. 
Okay, awesome. So um, I don't know which one of you guys wants to do it. I mean, either one of you is welcome to. Can you explain to the folks out there what the ASA, American Suppressor Association, is? Uh, obviously, you said it started in 2011. What else should folks know about you guys? Yeah, man. So essentially, we are kind of the nonprofit that represents the suppressor community. And that's everything from manufacturers and distributors to dealers and consumers. Mm-hmm. Um, so our whole is advanced suppressor reform um you know at the state level and the federal level um through things like legalizing suppressor ownership in all 50 states legalizing suppressor hunting in all 50 states for a while we worked on shall sign that was when the clio certification little thing um, we helped get rid of clio certification um and that was a bit of a, a cluster there were a lot of moving parts when that happened uh, we can get into that later but uh um, at the federal level, our goal is to get, get suppressors taken out of the National Firearms Act. They never should have been there in the first place. Um, they absolutely should be taken out. Um, and really, at, at our core, like that's our mission, right? Um, that's the end game uh, that we're we're trying to see. Um, in the meantime, um, while we work on that, you know, we want to see wait times decrease. We want to get rid of the tax. We want to do a lot of different things. Um, but at the end of the day, it all focuses on suppressors, and that's that's intentional. Uh, because we wanted to separate our issue from other core Second Amendment issues that might turn off legislators at both the state and federal levels who say, I don't touch gun stuff. Well, this is a bit different than gun stuff. And, and it's been good for us in terms of opening doors across the aisle for folks that generally wouldn't vote pro-gun, mm-hmm. a lot of them pro-suppressor. Right. Yeah. And while, while you were talking there, I'm trying to roll in uh, the website. There isn't a website, uh, America Suppressor Association. What is it? Uh, it's dot com, right? Yeah. For the folks who want to go there, there's lots of information on there. I'll probably uh, refer back to this. Or if you guys, while we're talking here, you know, if there's something that comes up and it's on the website, if you let me know, I'll be happy to go to the website and point it out to people. Um, you know, uh, I'm guessing that's the reason why, obviously, you guys want to come on, talk about a lot of things uh, that are going on, uh, not just in the, the gun community, in the gun world. Obviously, like we've got uh, the highest sales levels in, I don't know, ever, right? Yeah. <laughs> just keeps breaking records. Um, just this 2020 is just that kind of year. You yeah, know? Suppressors are no different. Suppressors okay. are trending that way this year, too. We may not hit the highest levels. Uh, mm-hmm. You know, 2016 was a, was a real peak just because of the legislation that was happening. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah. Full changes. Um, ATF 41F, and we can we can get into that one too. But mm-hmm. but this will probably be the second highest year um, in history, and it may actually talking to some of our dealers and distributors, it may eclipse 2016 this year as well. Really? So, okay. So um, you're saying that like 2016 was uh, was the highest year ever? Yeah, yeah. Okay. To date, 2016. Um, you know, ATF publishes. Um, mm-hmm. Their, their NFA data, some of their NFA data, every every year in August, they, mm-hmm. they publish a firearms commerce in the United States report. And in, in that, it includes a bunch of NFA data. But uh, okay. 2016, they received uh, about 312,000 Form 4 applications. Okay. Uh, suppressors generally make up about 80%, a little over 80% of all the Form 4s. Mm-hmm. Uh, ERs are kind of the other big chunk, and then you got a few transferable machine guns and short barrel shotguns and things mixed in there. But mm-hmm. suppressors are the bulk. Okay. Uh, now, for those that remember in 2016, Knox was kind of talking about the Clio sign-off, that law enforcement sign-off. 
So ATF for several years, 2014, 2015, was, was – proposing a rule, ATF 41P, which P stands for proposed. Mm -hmm. um, and that made some changes to how Form 4 applications, Form 1 applications were filed. Most notably, it was the trust applications. Um, prior to that, you could submit a trust. And because trusts are an entity, not a person, they didn't require any fingerprints or photographs uh, to go with it. Uh, instead, a NICS check was usually run by the person picking the suppressor up once the Form 4 was approved. So ATF proposed changing that, and they proposed requiring all uh, responsible parties on a trust. So anyone with access to the firearm trust would have to um, get fingerprinted, photographed, and also get a Clio signature, which, you know, like for, for instance, my trust, I've got my brother who lives in Los Angeles. How's he supposed to get a, mm -hmm. uh, a Clio sign-off in Los Angeles? He can easily send me some fingerprints and photographs. Yeah, um, yeah. I mean, imagine, and there's, there's companies that are in those trusts that, I don't know, they have maybe 20, 30 people or something, I guess. <laughs> yeah, yeah, there were definitely some some trusts. I know personally of a couple of like gun clubs where they had every gun club member in the trust mm -hmm. uh, just so they could move stuff around. Mm -hmm. um, you know, that's that's a question for the lawyers as to whether that's a good idea or not. I'm not a lawyer, so mm -hmm. uh, that's, that's really <laughs> not a good idea. Yeah, exactly. No. We can we can all say that's probably not a good idea. But right. We'll leave it to lawyers to issue the legal advice. Right. Uh, so anyhow, um, you know, with that proposed rule, um, the ATF kind of sat on it. They tweaked it. They had a big comment period. Um, that was where ASA really got involved. Um, and, and Knox can really give some of the more finite details on on exactly what what ASA did to, mm -hmm. to help get rid of that Clio sign off. But in the end. Uh, January or yeah, January fourth of 2016, they announced that they were finally going to implement that rule as ATF 41F, which is F for final rule. Um, and the the deadline for that impl implementation was mid July, so they kind of gave about a six month grace period that mm -hmm. from, from when they said yeah it's going to be final to when it actually took effect. And so that's when really the sales really spiked. Um, ATF in that time period received 276,000 Form 4s. I mean, basically yeah. about two and a half year um, buying period. I mean, mm -hmm. what, what would normally occur in about two and a half years? So 2015, they received 130,000 right. or so. Mm -hmm. um, a huge spike in demand. Um, and then once that rule took effect, the the demand really dropped off. They only received another 36,000 Form 4s the rest of that, that year. Mm -hmm. So you can really tell that that, that ATF 41F was what, what spiked that demand. Okay. Uh, and then 2017, we kind of returned to roughly normal. We were about 110,000 Form 4s total. So just about a 20%, eh, 15% decrease from what 2015 was. Um, so, you know, again, this year we're looking, our forecast is somewhere about 280,000 Form 4s. So okay. pretty close to that peak level, but we may exceed it. Okay. There's a, there's a whole bunch of things. I'm sure folks out there may have some questions as well. Um, can we start here? Like, how about we say, how about we let the folks know, like, what's the organizational structure of the ASA, right? Who Who's behind it? Is this a grassroots effort? Is, you know, what exactly, what exactly are we talking about here? Yeah. So, mm -hmm. so we are, 
somewhere in between like a trade association and a grassroots effort. Right okay. now we've got 5,000 members, individual members of the public mm-hmm. um, who are in the association ballpark. Um, and that's something that we're looking to grow. Uh, we, we were pretty successful in the past year of, of growing that about 1,200 or so. Our ideal spot is 20 to 30,000. That's kind of our target for now. And once we hit that, you know, we'll continue to try to grow. Um, but at our core, um, you know, we represent the overwhelming majority of the industry. Um, so right now we've got a board of directors of, of 15 folks, largely CEOs and owners of major, you know, gun manufacturers and suppressor related companies. Um, and we try to balance kind of the interests of the industry and the interests of uh, the consumer um, because, you know, they align most of the time. They don't always. Um, but, you know, our job is whatever it is, as long as it's pro suppressor, we're pushing it. Right. So, like, I'm taking a look here at, um, at and this is all this is all information. You guys are putting uh, all this stuff out there. Right. So people can find this on the website. Yeah. Um, I'm yeah. showing the page that you have here, your sponsors. I see yeah. uh, the silencer shop. That looks like a tier one. So I'm going to you know, say that's like the big the big dog in there. I see Daniel Defense as well in there as a tier two. And then a bunch of different companies, uh, NASGW, Dead Air, Gemtech, Brownells. Uh, Gearfire, Lipsies, Orchid Advisors, Rugged Suppressor, Sig, uh, Silencer Co. This symbol looks like here. Shorefire and YHM, right? So people, yes. co- companies. Uh, I'm gonna say, I guess the bigger companies in the uh, suppressor world. Is that accurate? Yeah. Or at least in manufacturing. Yeah, and we don't discriminate. Yeah. We want everybody to be involved. Okay. Um, you know, whether they're big or small, um, that's mm-hmm. why we have different tier structures within our sponsorship because mm-hmm. we want everybody to feel like they have a seat at the table okay. and the ability to help, you know, us steer the ship. Um, at the end of the day, we represent them and their interests and, and, you know, we want to make sure that their voice is heard. Okay. So any, so any individual can, um, can sponsor or how does this work? Is it like sponsorship membership? How do those work and how do the sponsorships work? Cause you've got tiers here. So I'm assuming the higher tiers, more money, something like that. That's good. Yeah, so break it into like corporate sponsorship structure and an individual sponsorship, more membership base. Mm-hmm. Uh, the for our corporate sponsors that operates on a calendar year. Um, we have a threshold for a monetary contribution that will buy you voting rights within the association. Uh, and essentially that allows you to help us elect the board of directors. Mm-hmm. Um, anything from the tier three up, they all have voting rights within the association. Mm-hmm. Uh, anything below that tier four and down, they don't, but they still, we still like to get them involved. Um, as much as possible. Um, so we allow them to, to join our board calls and things like that. Um, and any sort of in-person meetings that we host, generally at shop ship in our annual meeting, things like that, mm-hmm. uh, we'll invite them to those as well. Okay. Um, on public membership side, um, that generally operates on a you know 365-day year period. So if you signed up today, uh, you know your membership would run until July 8th of next year. Um, and uh, you know that's it's your pretty generic basic membership. You know, 35 bucks for a year. Hundred bucks for three years, thousand bucks for a lifetime membership, um, and we're really working right now on trying to build some of the perks up, um, you know, discounts with different companies um, and kind of exclusive opportunities for folks that uh, do become members for us. Okay, very cool. Um, I don't know if you wanted to add anything to that, Owen, or if you had any questions, Rich, feel free to jump in here uh, with any questions. Um, one that comes. Yeah. Go ahead, go ahead, Owen. Yeah, I'll just jump in, kind of to touch mm-hmm. on Knox's statements about the membership. So the, mm-hmm. again, the public membership—that's 
you know, essentially you're funding, you're funding the advocacy work that Knox and I do. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, we're on the road, a uh, hundred days a year. Normally this year, obviously, uh, our travel kind of cut off. In fact, I haven't been to a shot show, mm-hmm. uh, but in a normal year, we're we're traveling. We're on the road. We're in the states. We're in the state legislatures. We're in the we're we're in the Capitol, um, in D.C. We're at ATF headquarters. You know, we're meeting with those people, representing um, the the desires and the and the needs of of suppressor owners and and suppressor manufacturers and distributors and dealers. Um, and so that's really what that that membership is is helping fund. You know, a, a plane ticket to to Washington D.C. for most of us is a five hundred dollar endeavor, uh, maybe more. And so mm-hmm. you know, your thirty five bucks keeps you from having to buy that plane ticket and get there yourselves because mm-hmm. we're there. Your, yeah, your interests. Are you guys like lobbyists? Um, uh, you know, are you just doing a little bit of everything? Just you know, I'm trying to wrap my head around the whole thing is it are you like the nra you know what would we compare like other organizations that are out there you like the goa for example how how does everything work back there and how many people are actually there in 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 the uh in the actual structure of the organization yeah so right now you're looking at our full-time staff um our goal the, is you two guys to... yep yeah. that's yeah. it fighting for suppressors that's yeah, it. So okay. We've got, we've got some contractors as well, mm-hmm. um, and we had a contract lobbyist on retainer in DC for what four or five years. Okay, um, it was great, and mm-hmm. you know, frankly, like when we started up in DC, we really we never gotten our feet wet. You know, we mm-hmm. needed someone to kind of show us the ropes and teach us how it's done, um, and he was fantastic with that. Mm-hmm. Um, over the course of the past, you know, shoot nine years at this point, we've really kind of learned the game, so to speak. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, our our strength isn't we're never going to be the 800 pound gorilla in the room we're never going to wield that big stick we're the subject matter right we know suppressor advocacy forward and backwards and we've really shaped the arguments that have pushed the the dial at both the state and federal levels mm-hmm. um, so we go and we we help we draft legislation uh, we push that legislation but our strength really comes from working with other organizations who do have those built-in relationships and who do carry those big sticks um, so one of our first things was, you know, getting in with the guys at the NRA, mm-hmm. um, you know, like it or not, and they definitely have some some flaws and things that need to be addressed, you know, and that's that's outside of the scope of this right, conversation. Right. Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, I would say that, you know, the reason why I'm interested in it is because I think it's 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 you know, it's a good idea to have some organization out there every day thinking about this section. Right. Uh, I don't know. It's kind of a weird thing. Uh, su- suppressors are not legal everywhere, but in, in a lot more states nowadays, right? Um, I think they're awesome. I think every single firearm should have a suppressor on it. But, it's, you know, uh, someone's got to be out there representing, somehow fighting for this particular thing. But just because, you know, we're getting attacked when it comes to the Second Amendment on so many different levels. So I don't, I don't find a, a problem with you guys working with the NRA. That's a place where a lot of gun people go to versus let's say like shot show that's you know inside the industry the 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 uh, the folks out there who are just into guns can go to NRA and i believe that i came to at least one if not two events that you guys put on during NRA that's usually off site right yeah yeah we yeah. do an annual meeting yeah um, yeah, yeah. cuz i think i remember doing i at least remember doing one in Kentucky i think Yep. Mm-hmm. At Knob Creek. Yeah. Right. Yeah. 
Okay, so that so you guys are doing a little bit of everything here. You're you're you've got uh, m- maybe guys out there uh, blocking legal like bills that are trying to go in effect. You know, all all kinds of different things you guys are up to, right? Yeah, so that's a, and we work with you know the NRA, Congressional Sportsman's Foundation, mm-hmm. National Sportsman's Foundation, other groups in mm-hmm. state as, um, and really try to work out the, the team strategy of okay, what's the political dynamic. What's the political makeup? Who's going to be the most effective targeting, you know, what specific legislators? And mm-hmm. we really got our battle plan and execute. Yeah. Uh, Richard, Owen, do you guys have something here? Um, I'm looking. Yeah, I think, uh, you know, one of the things uh, you'll notice, maybe Knox's shirt. Um, yeah. <laughs> uh, pretty much on the one year anniversary of. of uh, yeah, let me, yeah, let me go. Uh, yeah, there you go. There you go. Yeah. Yeah. Virginia was a huge, you know, Second Amendment battleground state last year you know a year mm-hmm. ago even six months ago um yeah. in that special session there last year and then the regular session this year and, mm-hmm. and Knox and I spent weeks on the ground in Virginia um mm-hmm. working that and and defending suppressors specifically right alongside a lot of other groups you know mm-hmm. BCDL and NRA and 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 other orgs that were you know, looking at the broader 2A issue there in Virginia mm-hmm. um but we wanted to make sure that, you know, suppressors being on the docket that they were talking originally about banning and, and even confiscating or requiring legally owned suppressors to be turned in. Mm-hmm. You know, we wanted to make sure that 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 specific issue was also getting attention uh, and, and didn't get lost in that in that bigger conversation about 2A. And that's, um, you know, we were there organizing um, gun owners and suppressor owners and we went out and canvassed dealers and and specifically targeted dealers and, and individuals that were in in some of the key swing districts there and uh, and then you know we walked the halls for days of the the office buildings there the the legislative office buildings and and took meetings with members on on both sides of the issues you know making sure that that the people that supported suppressors continued to support them mm-hmm. and uh, and the people that that were maybe more anti-gun, we, we spent some time educating them. And, and mm-hmm. you know, in the final final drafts, they, we, we talked to a few members and said, hey, we specifically, you know, changed some of the language in these bills because of the education. You know, we didn't realize that they were so tightly regulated at the federal level. Um, and, and so because of that, we're, we're going to back off, you know, trying to ban them. Mm-hmm. Um, Knox, you got any, anything to add on, on Virginia? Yeah, and that was you're touching on specifically the confiscation aspect of it. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, it's it's things that legislators often don't think through the ramifications of their legislation. They get an idea, they push it through, you know, um, legislative council, and pretty much whatever they want to do, they push. Um, but you know, it's it's easy for us to recognize pretty immediately. There's a lot of logistical issues if you're going to try to confiscate. Not the least of which is these are federally controlled items that are in legal possession, and you're going to have state. Um, authorities take illegal possession of them. And we made sure that we were highlighting that point, which is something that we thought about. Yeah. Um, a so lot that, of, yeah. Yeah. I was going to say a lot of uh, people out there that don't know any better, don't realize we already have a lot of regulation, in my opinion, too much regulation yeah. um, out there. And, and just, these people just don't know. Uh, there's so many examples that we could give of that. By the way, Gorillas and Guns is out there. He says uh, he looks like he's wearing a Virginia sick Semper Tyrannis shirt. Yep. There you go. Got it. Uh, Gorillas and Guns. Got that right on. There you go. (laughs) Yeah. Okay. uh, Let's see. Um, I'm going to try to get uh, Lawrence Lerwick says, free the suppressors, defund the ATF. 
Uh, <laughs> hey, Hank. <laughs> what? Uh, Bozeman 5K uh, asked an interesting question. I know I get this all the time. Mm-hmm. Is it uh, is a trust still worth setting up? Good question. And I know what I always tell people. No. You know, unless you say you got, no. I say no. Okay. You know, one, as an individual, mm-hmm. I don't trust anybody enough to give them something that's federally in my name. Mm-hmm. You know, I okay. don't care who you are. Okay. Uh, and I'll say, you know, it depends. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah, if you're just an individual looking to acquire a suppressor and, you know, at this point, the process would be essentially the same. If you were yeah, just same thing. applying versus a trust, you know, a single person trust. Mm-hmm. Um, in my case, um, my wife is is a shooter. She she has firearms and, and actually worked with me at Gemtech for a while. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, you know, in, in the case of, of of that, yeah, having a trust is great because we, we can have dual possession so she can possess. But, yeah, I'm not going to go put all my friends and, you know, my entire gun club on my trust. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, some people will talk about the benefits of a trust in terms of handing it down mm-hmm. um, in the future when you pass on. Um, you know, a lot of people may not know that there is a form four process for, uh, you know, willing it to a lawful heir. It's done through a form five. It's a tax exempt transfer. So there is a tax exempt way to pass those on. Oh, that's interesting. Yeah. I didn't know that. Yeah. That's something yeah, I didn't so know. An attorney may tell you, well, it's easier in a trust because you don't have to go through that process mm-hmm. because, you know, a beneficiary becomes a trustee. Um, and again, I'm, I'm not a lawyer, so that's that's something for the legal advice, uh, you know, the lawyers to talk about. But, you know, there may be some benefits to having a trust depending yeah. on your particular situation. So, you know, yeah. definitely research it, talk to people and, and figure it out for, for yourself. Yeah, I would say trusts are something. So this is kind of like a separate issue. But if you think about uh, generational wealth, right? Right, which is the real wealth. If you want to yeah. pass the wealth onto your heirs, your heirs, excuse me, your successors, your children, however you want to put it, that's where trusts kind of come in. And there's like very specific law about trusts in America. And I think for the most part, they're good ideas, you know. So, and they were a very good idea until uh, they they made these new rules. In, in the situation of Lola and myself, it's just the two of us, and then we have two boys which they just now uh, became adults, right? So they're at like 21. We've got one that's coming behind him at 20. You know, I might start thinking about that, but I wouldn't want a ton of people in the trust either just because of what you guys said earlier that every single person who's on there, yeah. you're going you're gonna to have to then go through this process, right? Which luckily I've already, you know, Lola and I already did did a, a few things before that, but we have new things coming in that we have to think about, okay, what are we doing with those now? Yeah. Yeah. And I will say that the transfer process, of course, for an individual um, from the ATF side of things, you know, there's, there's less, less chance of errors and other things mm-hmm. like that that might delay mm-hmm. your transfer mm-hmm. by being digital versus trust you know do you have all your trust documents in order does mm-hmm. every rp have a clean background did they mm-hmm. all fill out the the responsible person questionnaire correctly or mm-hmm. did they type do they have a common name like john smith that's mm-hmm. you know makes them prone to getting delayed on nick's checks and things does like that the schedule, does the schedule a have the right stuff on it yeah yeah, yeah. Each, each i run into that one all the time yeah each yeah. one of those those 
you know, things can, can any, anywhere along that chain that you cause a delay is just going to delay your transfer. Yeah. So there's, there's, there's pros and cons to, to trust versus individual. Right. Yeah. So I'm not sure what you guys will think about this, but you guys are like your top tier uh, sponsor silencer shop, right? Silencer shop does a, uh, a lot of work to help folks out there with, uh, with this stuff, right or wrong. Yes. Yeah. 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 And they've, they've certainly, um, streamlined the process and, mm-hmm. and other, other, there are other companies out there that do similar, um, you know, perform similar services mm-hmm. or, or there's dealers that have access to, to similar services. So mm-hmm. I'd say it's not just a silencer shop, but they've mm-hmm. certainly pioneered, mm-hmm. um, what they've done yeah. and, uh, and and there there's certainly you know the kiosks and things like that. Yeah, uh, my has got one. Yeah, people, people in the gun great. world getting up on the internet. You know that's so amazing. Who who would have thought about <laughs> that is actually a thing? <laughs> using those internets, using technology. <laughs> you know, because really, honestly, guns are and and suppressors. Man, we're talking old technology here. <laughs> Yep. We're not even talking, you know, this is not super sophisticated. There's really not a lot of chips. Well, there's no chips. I'm trying to think about this. I don't, I'm not a fan of smart guns. So I don't think there should be chips involved unless we're talking about in your optics or something like that. That's the only place I see it. But yes, there's a, there's a lot of technology for folks out there or, you know, websites and things like that. Uh, But we will be happy to try to get answers to things. Night Train has a question here, unless you guys have one, uh, you know, that you want to go to. Night Train says, here's my question. Is it still okay to say silencer as opposed to suppressor? Sorry, I'm a bit old school. Yeah, man. Um, So from our perspective, Mm -hmm. silencer, suppressor, muffler, moderator, cam, call it whatever you want. Mm -hmm. It's all the thing. I think that we get too caught up as kind of a community of like, mm-hmm. well, Max called it a silencer on his application when he <laughs> named it a silencer. You call it a suppressor, and like that may be a little bit more accurate, but like I it's like clips and magazines. It's it seems it's almost yeah. to some people it's up there with clips and magazines, right? If I you're if you're, huh? Yeah, right? Because you know a clip at least is something, mm-hmm. and a magazine is something that's slightly different, right? Right. But like silencer and suppressor, they refer to the exact same. Um, yeah. And so when we formed, we were the American Silencer Association, right? Because we thought at the time, it's like, nobody's going to get what we're doing if we call us, ourselves the American Suppressor Association. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. After about three years of um, back and forth um, with legislators and going in and testifying in front of legislative bodies in this, around the country, I got tired of being like, you know, hey, my name is Knox Williams, and I'm with the American Silencer Association. By the way, nothing can actually silence the noise of a firearm. So that was a calculated decision on our part to change it to suppressor. But, I mean, at the end of the day, it really doesn't matter. Um, mm-hmm. It's all the same thing. I think it, it is important to note if you call it a silencer, mm-hmm. nothing's going to silence a gun, right? It's yeah. still really, really Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, Owen, I think, did you take your camera off? I think he oh, there just you go. Uh, Yeah. There we go. Are we back? Yeah. <laughs> we got a little uh, Wi-Fi technical difficulty oh. there. <laughs> <laughs> no, that's cool. We're still we're doing good here. So uh, I don't know if anyone else wanted to chime in on the silencer suppressor thing. Yeah, it's it's two words that mean the same thing. It's like cans, also, right? Cans yeah. is also another. Yeah. Call them anything cans when we're talking. Right? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. You know. They. Really, the only difference is the 68 or the NFA, the 34 Gun Control Act, Mm -hmm. says 
silencers. Oh, okay. And that's, okay. I mean, as far as that goes, that's the only thing that makes a difference. I've heard a bunch of people say, well, you can't put suppressors on paperwork. Mm-hmm. I've never had one kicked back if I've put suppressor or silencer. It, it, it's never mattered. Okay. So, okay, so it doesn't matter on any of the official stuff when you're dealing with the... Uh... No, nothing that I've put through. I mean, they've never kicked it back. Mm-hmm. Okay. All right. Yeah, I mean, the, legal, the legal terminology is silencer, the, you know, yeah. the technical terminology of what it does is a suppressor um you know silencer is is basically it was a was a marketing scheme a marketing yeah. brand name by maxim mm-hmm. um mm-hmm. i just got incorporated into the legal language so yeah and I, he was a victim of his own marketing success right like if he'd called them suppressors out of the gate there's a high likelihood that they would not have been included in the national firearms act right really you know he put out marketing materials that says you know like shoot without noise um, and so this will eliminate the noise of your, your gun check. <laughs> I'm like, first, still digging out of that hole. Yeah. Jackass. Um, <laughs> if you're talking about the 22, you know, subsonic or something, maybe yeah. it's really quiet. But, yeah, everything everything else, not really. It's I mean, not. it's it's making it herring safe, I think. Uh, Trying yeah. to, yeah. yeah. And some don't even do that. You know, yeah. no, no. That's, a lot, of, a lot of times, I still wear Air Pro. That yeah, I was about to say that's another interesting thing. I think a lot of people, you know, say like, oh, well, I can put a, a silencer suppressor on my gun, and then I don't have to wear Ear Pro. You absolutely still should. Um, yeah. You, you, unless it's single shot exposure on like a, you know, like you said, like some twenty twos and stuff. Mm-hmm. If you're shooting more than just a little bit, and even if you're only shooting a little bit. Cut, protect your ears right mm-hmm. it's kind of like saying oh well, i've got a seat belt. i don't need an airbag you know yeah. it's like well that's silly yeah you know, they yeah it, yeah definitely because you're closer to that thing so it may be kinder for your neighbors i think you know but if you're doing anything repetitive <laughs> you you probably want to uh take as you know protect your ears as much as possible the crazy thing about it is you can't really regrow those um you know what, what is oh, it? Hairs. What, yeah, what is it called? Follicles or whatever that help yeah. us hair stuff? Yeah. 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 Closest you can get is a cochlear implant, but like, who wants hi, to spend that? Uh, yeah. Oh. Uh, that's Richard that says hi. I guess he could see you for some reason. I don't know. Yeah. I saw your arm. Oh. <laughs> Did we lose? Wait a second. Did we lose Owen? He looks frozen. Yeah, he's frozen. Yeah. Okay. We'll probably get him back here. Oh, don't worry. Yeah. Don't worry about it. Uh, this is why we got two of them. See, we got like redundancy, <laughs> redundancy here. We'll just leave him frozen up there in the corner, so yeah. that he could still pretend that uh, that he was here. But I'm sure we're gonna get him back. Uh, yeah. So with with your with your hearing, man, you lose that. It's really tough yeah. to get it back, right? Uh, yeah. You know, you're so, not. Yeah. Yeah. You're you're not gonna get it back. So and never shoot steel plates. Hmm. There he goes. Without hearing protection. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. I made that mistake once at one of the subgun matches. Mm-hmm. I was shooting my Uzi suppressed. Oh, that's suppressed. I don't need my hearing protection. Right. Man, I took one blast at a group of steel plates, walked back to the bench, grabbed my ears, put them on, kept shooting. <laughs> yeah. I mean, steel's going to ring. That's going to be loud. Yeah. That's that's gonna be. I think that's gonna be loud. And um, look, just the the actions, for wow. example, right? The actions in a lot of guns are really loud. Yeah. 
I think there's maybe some things you could do. Like the most I've seen is in 22s. A lot of uh, there's a lot of stuff for the Ruger 1022. So um, you know you could do things to kind of like quiet down the noise or whatever or buffer it. But for everything else, the action's going to be really loud. And then yes, if you're shooting at steel and so on. Um, I know I once did. Um, I think it was Silencer Co. that did this. They had a they had a a, a shoot like a range day organized where everyone was using suppressors at that range day and i thought it was great because for anyone who was standing off from the shooting line you could actually talk to each other yeah you know but i would still say i think and i think even i did that if you go up there i'm still putting air pro on you know because when you're you're closer to all of that it's uh, pretty bad so um yeah let's see i don't know if there's any Okay, Clint Sanders says, just signed up. Thank you all, guys. I'm assuming he signed up with you guys. Yep, that's great. Uh, Let's see, Brian Quick says, uh, he said, since DC versus Heller, there hasn't been a win for the Pro 2A advocacy groups. Just defending against further restrictions on our privileges. Yes, privileges. They haven't been rights for decades. That's from Brian Quick. You guys want to respond to that? Yes. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Seems that way. Yeah. Seems that way. Yeah. Um, yeah. I'd say, you know, like all advocacy, it hasn't been for lack of trying. Um, you know, yeah. The, yeah. The, the Supreme Court did not insert a handful of cases recently. And, yeah. Yeah. What was know, it? 10 we cases? We push. We push. And, mm-hmm. and you know, right, then, there, then we're left waiting. Yeah. There has good movement at the state. Um, and that's really where the battleground is. Um, things move a lot quicker at the state level. And, like, like, honestly, the gridlock is there's pros and cons to that. It's a double-edged sword at the federal level, right? It's mm-hmm. very hard for us to push pro-gun legislation. Obviously, we we saw that firsthand with the Hearing Protection Act. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's also very hard for our opposition to push through anti-bills. Um, so, mm-hmm. you know, if uh, if, you know, say Trump loses the election in, in November and the Senate flips, it will still be very difficult for anti-gunners to push through negative legislation. Yeah. Um, so, you know, there's some sort of solace in that, but nonetheless, like we feel you, man, like we really need a landmark win. It has been too long. Yeah. Frankly, the biggest landmark win in our lifetime has probably been, you know, in 2004 when the AR ban sunset. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. Which is, is sad. Yeah. Yeah. There's not. Yeah. There's a few victories there. You brought up the Hearing and Protection Act. Maybe we should take this opportunity to jump all the way into that little (laughs) rabbit hole. (laughs) So that way we can blame Knox. (laughs) It was my idea. Really? Oh, really? Was the Hearing Protection Act your idea? Literally? Literally. Okay. Explain that to us. All right. So, you know, obviously our, our end goal as an organization is trying to remove suppressors from the National Firearms Act. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, in 2015, uh, we worked with Representative Matt Salmon. Um, it was us, our attorney at the time, um, and the NRA with Representative Salmon's um, staff. Uh, we spent about six months drafting the initial draft of the Hearing Protection Act. Um, that got introduced by him in October of 2015. Um, and at the time, you know, we figured, hey, it's going to be a while before Republicans take the White House, before they have both chambers in Congress. This is really an educational messaging bill uh, that we're going to spend the next, you know, 
four to six to eight or however long it takes years um, educating members and normalizing suppressors. Um, fast forward a little over a year after we introduced it, Trump wins the White House and is sworn in in, in January of 2017. And, you know, we're just sitting there like, you know, this is the, the opportunity came faster than we ever thought. Mm-hmm. Um, but we're not going to stop. We're going to push as hard as we possibly can. Mm-hmm. Um, so we did. You know, we, we got it reintroduced. Uh, Representative Sam retired. Uh, Representative Jeff Duncan, who um, was the Republican co-chair for the Congressional Sportsman's Caucus, which is the largest bipartisan caucus on the Hill. Mm-hmm. Um, they have, you know, several hundred members comprised of from both sides of the aisle in both chambers, in the House and the Senate. Um, he introduced that bill uh, in the House. Senator Crapo introduced it in the Senate. Um, and we we blitzed, man. We I was in D.C., almost, if not every week, every other week, um, meeting with members, um, signing up co-sponsors. We had, I think at our peak, somewhere around 150, 160 co-sponsors. So those are locked in votes. We don't even have to do a whip count on those guys. Mm-hmm. Um, and we ended up getting it amended into the Sportsman's Act um, or the Share Act, which was the big sportsman's omnibus package um, that had a whole lot of firearms provisions and pro-hunting, pro-outdoor provisions. Um, that was spearheaded by the Congressional Sportsman's Caucus. Um, we got it thrown into that. Um, and I don't know if y'all remember, I was actually in getting into my Uber on the way to the first committee hearing uh, the Federal Land Subcommittee in D.C. for that bill in June of, uh, what was that, 2017 or 2018? The years are kind of running together at this mm-hmm. point. Yeah. That June, uh, when we heard the news about the Congressional Baseball shooting. Um, And our member, Representative Duncan, our lead sponsor for that bill, um, the shooter actually asked him and our friend who was his uh, assistant, who was driving him to the baseball practice, like, hey, is this practice for Republicans or Democrats? Um, He said, it's the Republican practice, not thinking anything of it. Mm -hmm. Dude walks in, 30 seconds later, starts opening fire. Um, So obviously that delayed that hearing. Mm -hmm. Uh, It got funded until September. Um, We get back in September they actually hold the hearing on a Tuesday. We're we're there. Unfortunately, they, you know, we didn't make the cut to testify, although we we tried pretty hard. And I will guarantee you that if that bill comes up for consideration again, I will be on the panel for that. Um, but we uh, got it passed out of the subcommittee. Two days later, on that Thursday, it passed out of the full committee, which means they sent it to the House floor. And uh, in talks with uh, the speaker's office, Speaker Ryan at the time, um, you know, we were being told. Tuesday to Thursday of the following week, we're going to have a full House floor vote. Um, so we were using that time to try and whip the votes, shore up any sort of squishy Republicans and see if we could get some more Democrats to come on, because it was a bipartisan bill. We had a few Democrats that had signed on. Um, and uh, so we were we were doing our work, keeping our heads down. I went back for the weekend, was planning on coming back up on that Monday. And uh, that Sunday in between when it passed out of the committee and when it was scheduled sometime that next week, that Sunday in between was the shooting in Las Vegas. Yep. And, you know, as soon as it happened, you know, for us, it's like, okay, well, we're at least going to delay that vote. Um, there's just no political way in which that's going to occur, you know, this week. Mm-hmm. Um, and then it's out that tweet. Imagine how much worse it would have been with the silencer. Mm-hmm. And we're just they're like, I mean, you know, that's, that's kind of the educational gap where people hear that and they, they, they buy the bullshit hook, line and sinker. Right. Um, 
We all know that it would make no difference if that dude had had a suppressor. Honestly, it probably would have jammed his guns, right? Mm-hmm. Like maybe people would have survived, but at the distance that the people that were being shot at were, um, yeah. you know, we're the, not going to really know much of anything about that whole situation, yeah. man. That's yeah. all yeah. like, we don't know if that guy <laughs> truly had bump stocks. We don't know yeah. anything that happened there. We won't see the, the real footage. We won't see anything. Um, yeah. out of that you know we're, even like the fbi closed the case on that thing yeah. so um with, yeah to the public huh yeah with uh with no communication to the public yeah. whatsoever yeah yeah you know and in a place like vegas where there's a lot of cameras i mean we could that's a whole nother rabbit hole to go down so this is yeah. really interesting i didn't know that knox you were like on the inside right most of us were on the outside of this situation um you know, Richard, you could bring up your memory. I'm just going to give mine really quick, right? So I remember hearing about the Hearing Protection Act. Okay, first of all, let's go back a little bit. I remember the suppressors since I got into this thing. I got into this to, to doing what I'm doing now like seven years ago. And I think suppressors were becoming more and more popular, right? Yeah. And I think a lot of companies are getting on board with making suppressors who guys, the companies were looking at integral suppressors and on all levels, calibers, things like that. You know, people were doing this Inconel technology, all kinds of stuff was happening. And, um, you know, it, to me, I thought it was a good thing. There was a good thing going. Everyone was buying them. <laughs> Lots of good stuff going on. The Hearing Protection Act came around. Everyone started talking about that. And people, something crazy kind of happened, right? That People, it seems like to me, went from buying suppressors to like, oh, no, uh, you know, because you, you have to buy it. Then you, you obviously you pay for it. You know, they're I'm going to say they're kind of, a, you know, you could put it in the expensive category. Then you have to uh, pay for your tax stamp, fill out forms, wait about six months. I think suppressors were so popular at that time. Some people were waiting like a year. You know, there was, there was all kinds of things going on. And all of a sudden, it's like it fell off a cliff. Because everyone yeah. was like, guess what? Suppressors are going to be free or really cheap. We don't have to do anything. Yeah. You know, I'm just going to wait because, uh, yeah, Trump's going to get in there and we'll all have, everyone will have suppressors. I don't have to buy anything right now. Does that seem accurate to you guys or you, do you all see that from a different point of view? Um, I, I can kind of speak to that. You know, we were talking a little bit about some of the form four applications and the numbers coming in. Mm-hmm. Um and so I think, you know, there's, there's kind of two sides to that story or two, two kind of things to look at. Um, mm-hmm. So I've been tracking Form 4 applications. Um, ATF has the data going all the way back to, I think, 93 mm-hmm. uh, Form 4 applications. But if you look at maybe, say, the last 10 years, so in 2011, there were 33,000, just shy of 34,000 applications, Form 4 applications. And that number... Um, has increased about 40% per year on average. Mm-hmm. Um, what you see is that blip there again in 2016, like we talked about, um, those 276,000 applications that came into ATF after they announced the implementation of 41F. And then once it was implemented, so this was, you know, um, I guess to marry up the timeline. So 
Um, the Hearing Protection Act was introduced in October of 15. That year, there were 130,000 applications. So the okay. year after it was introduced, 2016, that first half of the year, still 276,000 applications coming in. So definitely not a decrease in sale, but a, a huge increase in mm-hmm. sales, even while the Hearing Protection Act is there. Now, again, this is pre-Trump being elected, too. Mm-hmm. Um so Obama's still in the White House. Mm-hmm. Um, from the time that the ATF 41F gets implemented, then then it drops off a cliff. I mean, it, it precipitously, yeah. you know, 90% of the applications came in in that first half of the year, only 10% in the second half. Mm-hmm. But then 2017, so this is after Trump's elected, he's inaugurated into office, the Hearing Protections Act is still, you know, happening. It's been introduced again. Um, there were 110,000 applications. So again, about a 15% decrease over 2015, kind of your last normal year. Mm-hmm. Um, so not the huge drop off that, that I think was perceived. But what did happen there also was uh, post 41F, uh, manufacturers were still continuing to produce. So ATF also um includes some of the manufacturing data in their report. Um, and we, we submit FOIA requests pretty much every year to ask ATF, you know, how many suppressors are there in the registry? How many have been made each year? Um, they don't know. <laughs> they, well, they, they kind of know. They can look at the Form 2 data. The funny mm-hmm. thing is they, 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 can't tell, they can't tell historically they can't go back in time and say, hey, on this date, this is how many were in their registry. They can only tell us on this date, when we looked, this is how many there were, but we can't go back in time. Mm-hmm. Um, but the the interesting thing, so in 2016, again, they, they received a total of 312,000 Form 4s the mm-hmm. whole year, 2016. But they showed an increase in the registry of about 452,000. So essentially, they, they had 150,000 more suppressors made mm-hmm. than Form 4s received, which is a pretty good barometer of sales, how many mm-hmm. suppressors. Um, and that 150,000 is really about a year's supply. And so what we saw was that the distribution channel in terms of distributors and dealers were chucked full of suppressors, mm-hmm. and people were still buying them, but a lot of manufacturers and distributors weren't getting reorders because they were just kind of still flushing that channel of suppressors. Yeah. Um, there were a lot of things. Then, I'm, I'm trying to remember. Uh, th- there's like, so you had Integral, Integrally Suppressed Pistol came out from Silencer Co. There's a bunch yep. of things going out there. I have one of those, right? Um, yeah, yeah, those are- yeah, I mean, I was, I was really excited about that. There were a lot of things going. You know what? It just feels to me like um, prior to the election, lots of people were getting behind Trump getting behind Republicans, you know, everyone was excited. We're like, wow, you know, this could be the thing. Everyone does that push. Trump uh, gets in there, right? Republicans have uh, the House, Senate, they have everything, supermajority, and then nothing happens. So, yes, of course, you know, there's there's other things going on. Mm -hmm. There's there's shootings, news is affecting this or whatever, but it seems to me like uh, a lot of the politicians that we were talking to when we were like, you know, uh, take take suppressors off the NFA, you know, where's the uh, universal CCW, right? Like a national CCW for everyone was all this stuff. They kept saying, oh, don't worry about it. Just wait till the midterms. 
I remember yeah, getting yeah. that. I remember getting that language from a lot of these guys. Oh, wait till the midterms. The weird thing is everything really flipped by the the midterms. But somewhere in there, the thing I really, I just really remember this going into stores. Like suppressors were really popular. Everyone was trying to get on board with that. Um, <laughs> you know. Uh, then all of a sudden, everyone I'm talking to is like, these things are going to be real cheap because because they're coming off the NFA, you know, which I don't really I remember having conversations with got with uh, companies about that. Like, really, are they going to become super cheap all of a sudden when all of this happens? Uh, nope. I don't think yeah. that the technology it takes to make it, people are like, oh, you could use anything. A potato could be a suppressor now. You know, I could just do this. It's going to be the competition's going to change the whole game. And, and, and it almost seems like people stop doing it. But you're saying that that's not true? That's not accurate? No. no yeah. It, if you look at the Form 4s coming into ATF, the, the numbers were relatively normal and steady. Uh, you know, 2018, we're back up to like 165,000. 2019, mm-hmm. almost 200,000 Form 4s. So why did so many companies get out of the game? I saw there was a bunch of companies that were going to put out integral barrels and things like that. Or a lot of guys coming on board, uh, big companies buying into to other suppressor manufacturers. Uh, some of that happened with uh, Tech. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. Um, you know, I think I think there was a lot of there was a ton of optimism. There was mm-hmm. a ton of optimism that HPA was going to happen. Um, there was a ton of optimism that concealed carry reciprocity was going to happen. There was a ton of optimism that, that you know we were going to see these the the passage of a lot of pro gun pro gun legislation and you know based on events and things that occurred that that were out of our control like some of these high profile shootings. You know, they just didn't. They fizzled out. Mm-hmm. Um, but in terms of suppressors, yeah, integrals, uh, we did see a bunch of new integrals coming about, and that was kind of a, a nod towards what would happen if, if HPA occurred. Of course, I think what people maybe lost sight of, too, was that HPA didn't, you know, we, we heard a lot of people say, well, it's going to totally deregulate suppressors. And it's like, well, it's not. It's going to switch them from being an NFA item to being just essentially mm-hmm. a firearm. One yeah, yeah. So they're still going to have a serial number. You know, we'd hear people, oh, they're going to be cheap and disposable. Yeah. It's like, well, it's still Serial number. You don't take a take a worn out Ruger 1022 and throw it. So, in the trash so there wasn't. So maybe people just didn't understand what was going to happen. I, I see that Knox looks like he wants to jump in. Yeah, I think there's two things as well to point out with kind of the the folks that you know said, "Hey, well, I'm going to wait for the HPA to pass because things are going to be different." Mm-hmm. By and large, a the people that had already bought suppressors, like our our current market. Um, had bought everything that they wanted in that six-month period between uh, the announcement of 41F and its implementation in early 2016. Um, I think that everyone else that kind of jumped on the, well, I'm just waiting for the HSBA to pass bandwagon, specifically mm-hmm. after the election, mm-hmm. um, had never bought a suppressor, right? Like, they're mm-hmm. the same people that they say, oh, well, it takes too long, or I don't want to pay a $200, I don't want the ATF to be able to come to my house, which, by the way, they can't. Um, they're always going to have some form of an excuse. And that was the kind of excuse du jour, so to speak, mm-hmm. um, that was easy to, to pair it. And frankly, like, honestly, dealers, you kind of got to put some of it on them as well, right? Like these guys were used to not having to sell suppressors because they sold themselves. Mm-hmm. All of a sudden you have to shift and you're telling customers to wait. Like, I, I mean, I just don't see the, the thought process in that sales strategy. Um, I get the optimism with the Hearing Protection Act. Look, we were as optimistic as anybody. Mm-hmm. Um, we do get false yeah. attribution 
people yeah. saying i'm not by the way i'm not trying to knock you guys i think that would have sure. been so awesome like we were just saying yeah. we all deserve that <laughs> you know yeah. we it would have been great to make that happen but something so obviously there's what mechanically happened with all of these bills right and with the politicians which is not on you guys right you're on the other side of that equation you can't control what these politicians uh what, what they do necessarily, we can we could put pressure and try to convince them and nudge them in a direction. Ultimately, they do what they want to. It's just that this weird, like I remember, I, I don't know, Rich, do you remember this? I remember going to stores and they didn't have problems selling suppressors one day and then all of a sudden they had problems. People weren't buying anything. Oh, yeah. Uh, I saw I saw like uh, a, a, a 223 suppressor go down to 99 bucks. I bought one. For, I'm yeah, not saying it's the I most awesome remember. thing. Was it 41P when that was going on that just decimated the suppressor industry? Mm -hmm. I think I think it was 41P when that was you know getting yeah. ready to pass after its implementation. Yeah, yeah that, was yeah. it after the implementation? Yeah. Yeah. Because yeah. I remember people, oh, should I buy yeah. one? Should it? it's like if you want one, buy one. Yeah, and I think if that's what I think that's what one, Owen was saying, right? One. That's what you were saying, Owen. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, leading up to 41F being implemented, that six-month period when, when you know, they announced it to when it was implemented. I mean, you, you couldn't – if it wasn't oh, nailed yeah. down, yeah. Yeah, it was gone. So did we get like a perfect storm on that? Did we get a perfect storm that you, you had that, you this didn't go through? Because, uh, you know, it's yeah. it just seems like something really crazy happened there and people's – I'm not saying you guys. I know when I was talking to people, what they were telling me was ridiculous. And I'm like, dude, I kind of do this for a living. Yeah. And I'm talking to these yeah, companies, were, <laughs> you know. Yeah, there. I mean, there were certainly people in there that were, were kind of, you know, playing, playing the odds of like, well, OK, it takes nine months to get a Form 4 approved. You know, especially right after the election. I mean, people are like, oh, man, if this thing passes, you know, quickly, like, why, you know, I'll wait. You know, it's like, oh, I could wait three months or I could wait nine months. Mm -hmm. and, yeah. You know, there, there were people playing those odds. But, man, if they had if they had just put the Form 4 in, they'd have had their suppressor, you know, long before, obviously. Mm -hmm. um, so, you know, that. but like to Knox's point. I bought my first suppressor before I was even in the industry. I bought my first suppressor in about 2000 or 2001 timeframe, mm -hmm. you know, 14 months was just the normal. That's what it took. And, yeah. you know, back then there were only 10,000 form fours going in every year. I mean, not very many at all. Mm -hmm. um, and it still took 14 months. And I've seen that roller coaster that, you know, as transfer times drop down more people like oh six months isn't so bad to wait months isn't so bad to wait and then they start buying and and so, mm -hmm. so people start buying and then the transfer times start creeping up because atf's getting more and more and more and more forms yeah and mm -hmm. then you know pretty soon back up to nine or ten months even after they've added a bunch of examiners um and then you know sales taper off people are like ah, 10 months 11 months 12 months 14 months that's too long to wait mm -hmm. and then they you know atf starts to catch up a little bit and it's just this constant seesaw yeah um because all they can do is throw people at it uh yeah. you know we had that beautiful glorious e-form system for form fours for oh, a few months and you had to yeah. bring that up oh we're not open on wednesdays wednesdays what yeah. the hell is that it's a special day for the government yeah yeah, yeah. 
Yeah. So, you know, I, I, I mean, I remember in what it was probably like 07 or 08 when they moved NFA branch out of headquarters in DC yeah. over to now in West Virginia. I've got friends that got form fours approved in like 30 days, mailbox to mailbox, because they, mm-hmm. they had this these great examiners that, that were pushing through forms and getting them done. Um, and then, you know, again, people found out about it like, oh, 30 days, that's nothing. And submit form fours and then they started getting backlogged so yeah. uh, you know i think the transfer it, it's all a perfect storm that you know the transfer times the paperwork the yeah you know, just so many things affect yeah affect it if so. you look at what if you so let's jump ahead a little bit in this conversation if you looked at what happened so trump becomes uh president lots of companies mm-hmm. in the firearms industry had what i call the hillary plan for selling guns Right. They were thinking Hillary was going to get elected. They will sell every single gun they ever made. That didn't necessarily happen. And lots of lots of them made lots of ARs. <laughs> so that didn't necessarily happen. So you had a little bit of a slowdown. And, and uh, there were there not every company, but lots of companies that weren't prepared for that. They uh, bought extra machines. They hired people, built buildings, all kinds of stuff. And they were making things mm-hmm. that people weren't buying. We had this kind of slowdown. And then within a couple of years, now we're now we're at the top, right? We've broken new highs all of a sudden. You know, I, I guess it's a combination of uh, those companies eventually caught up, stopped, you know, maybe got rid of a lot of stock, started building more wisely. <laughs> you know, then yeah. then you then you got into the COVID thing. Um, you know, there's just a whole bunch of other things that happened. You started getting these riots and everything, uh, stuff that's going on in the news, defund the police. All of that is just making more and more people buy things. Now now we're here in this weird situation. It is kind of this crazy thing that you cannot predict. Yeah, I'd, you know, I'd say that the, you know, for, for the, as, as small as the suppressor industry is, and, mm-hmm. you know, it's in terms of the larger gun gun industry suppressors is, is a niche it's mm-hmm. a pretty small it's portion of that mm-hmm. uh, but it tracks it tracks pretty closely with what goes on in the in the bigger you know gun community yeah. um you know 2016 leading up to the election i mean really leading right up to the election day um you had companies breaking sales records they were selling every high capacity magazine and ar that that was available um, you know, and suppressors in 2016 were way, way up too. And then 2017 came and, you know, in the industry, we call it the Trump slump that, mm-hmm. um, you, know, you, you couldn't hardly give away some guns. Mm-hmm. I mean, AR-15, you could, you could pick them up for a song. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. What are we talking and, like three, uh, what's the cheapest I saw? 300? Yeah. Like three, 400 bucks. <laughs> yeah. You could, you could. Get an AR, maybe not the highest quality one, but you could get an AR. For yeah, you could, get a, bucks. you could get a decent one. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Compared to and, and, compared to like ten years ago. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. You know the other the other problem with the suppressor industry is you had companies that went out of business. Mm-hmm. You know the other problem with the suppressor industry is when things are good, all these yahoos decide I'm going to build suppressors, and they can't tell their ass from a hole in the ground. Mm-hmm. You know, I've got five suppressors here that have come in that people just don't want. They've left them here. I don't want it. You keep it. And they're all from companies who in the last five years 
have come into business and they're the biggest thing in the world. Oh, I see what you're saying. Like new new and, people jumping on the, the bandwagon yeah. of making. And yeah. they're a piece of crap. Mm-hmm. You know, there's no way I would let that go out of my shop. Uh, one of them is a nine millimeter suppressor for an Uzi. I cannot shoot a 22 long rifle out of it without getting baffle strikes. Mm. I mean, it's just horrendous. And this was one of the companies to, you know, was one of the new companies that never last. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, it wasn't Gemtech or Advanced Armament. It was one of these doofuses who mm-hmm. had a lot of money and said, we're going to build suppressors. You know, yeah. so all those guys flood the market with crap. Yes. Yeah, don't tell us what you really feel. Yeah. And then, <laughs> you know, the, the market takes a downturn mm-hmm. and they've not planned, they've not done anything, and they all go out of business. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. I think, you know, there were a lot of companies that, that saw that run up to 41F where just, I mean, if you could build it, it would, it would sell. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, there were a lot of companies that saw that and thought that, that was somehow the new normal. And that, that was a definite bubble at a mm-hmm. very definite date that that bubble popped. And that yeah. was the day yeah. that that, you yeah. know, ATF 41F went into effect. And so, you know, we saw that next year that was compounded not only had those sales gone back to kind of a normal level, but then there were so many suppressors in that distribution pipeline and those manufacturers that got into the game in 2016 thinking that was a normal really, really uh, realized that it wasn't the case in 2017. Yeah, Um, yeah. That's how we get bubbles. That's how we get bubbles in all industries across the board. Yeah. 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 You've got speculative investors who jump in and, Mm -hmm. you know, they see a short term downturn, they're out. You know, you've got other folks that come in and, you know, want to maintain their position in the long term. Mm -hmm. It's tough and during peak, right? Like you can ride it out. And if you wrote it out by now, like, yeah, the marketplaces, we're going to, we're going to hit new highs. and we're still maintaining, with that one blip, uh, an upward trajectory. Um, and we anticipate that, you know, next year is going to beat this year. Yeah. Um, and we'll be more than likely, you know, barring extenuating political circumstances, the best year that we've ever had. Yeah, so let's, um, talk as- ab- let's, let's talk about some of those numbers. I mean, I think that's the reason why Owen originally uh, reached out to me. I was, I was talking to Dave from Liberty Suppressors. I, I did something for Ammoland. And Dave was saying that uh, that he's seen at that time. He said he's seen a slump, right? Uh, maybe mm-hmm. like twenty percent uh, less than usual. I think I'm trying to I'm trying to remember uh, exactly what he said. And uh, and then and then Owen, you reached out to me and you said that you guys are seeing the numbers a little differently. So do you want to um, uh, elaborate on that? Yeah, and and you know I. You know, I can't speak to what Dave's seeing, mm-hmm. you know, on his, his side of the industry uh, or, or in his specific, you know, business. But, you know, again, these the, the numbers that we see from they're, they're public, they, they publish them every year. Um, you know, they're showing uh, if you trend across that, that 10-year period, there's there's nearly 40% per year increase okay. in, in the number of Form 4s that they receive. Mm-hmm. Um and and the weird thing is if you if you extract out 2016 and 2017 that kind of big jump and then that dip yeah, yeah. Um, 
whether you include those or 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 exclude those, it, it pretty much stays the same. It's something like thirty nine point nine percent versus like forty point one percent growth average per year. Yeah, um, you're you're breaking up a little bit. I don't know if maybe someone's jumping on your internet there. That could be. Yeah, I've got I've got a spotty connection. Yeah, uh, is that better? Uh, yeah, you got a little bit better. If okay. tell anyone in the house, get off the internet. Someone, Damn yeah, kid. Right? Yeah, someone's downloading <laughs> something. You wanna? Do you wanna repeat that? Yeah, I'll just uh, you know what we're seeing uh, annually is about a forty percent growth rate. Forty percent. Okay. Yeah, ATF public mm-hmm. data that they publish annually in the Firearms Commerce Report. Mm-hmm. Um, the number of Form 4s they're receiving, which, again, is usually a pretty good barometer of how many, you know, there's one Form 4 for every can sold. Mm-hmm. Um, that's that's showing about 40% year over year. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Okay. So, um, yeah, I think uh, I know I know I spoke to him recently and he tells me he's seeing an uptick. There may be a difference here, like you said, you know, from company to company to company. I think he was talking about his company. You know, every there's different companies. They have different people that they yeah. market to. Can you tell us who's buying most of those suppressors? Are we talking like government contracts, uh, civilians? What are we looking at here? Uh, are government things even tracked? No, uh, they're not records? tracked in the Form 4. Okay. Yeah, they're, they're- they would be, you know, we we'd see those maybe on a form five. So okay. if um, if a manufacturer is producing suppressors specifically for a federal like U.S. government contract, they don't have to put them in the SDR. They can go straight to the government. Okay. Um, many companies do because they're selling out of stock. So if they're building for stock or speculatively, then they're yeah. going to put those in the RTR and then sell them on a Form 5. Okay. How are um, those serialized? Are those serialized similar to civilian ones mm-hmm. or not? Okay. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, they'll be serialized the same way, but the difference is, you know, a Form 4, you can only put one firearm on that. So one Form 4 equals one silencer mm-hmm. transfer. Right. In the case of like Form 3s and 5s, yeah. Um, those, you can have a hundred suppressors, a thousand suppressors. So one form five that we see in the ATF's annual data may represent yeah. a, a contract for. Okay. So thousands. if the FDA's tactical unit, if they're getting uh, like a thousand suppressors for some crazy reason, <laughs> then, then they could put it all on one form. That's what you're saying. Right. Cause yeah. this is the weird thing we're living, you know, they're all of these government departments now have tactical units and they're getting, I remember at SHOT Show talking to a guy who was on a tactical unit for the post office, you know, yeah, and, yeah. and and I think, I think they buy, I think they buy cans. I know he was telling me they can't have full auto. I was like, oh, poor yeah. you. <laughs> There's that. I know like Amtrak, the railway police have, yeah. you know, the, the tactical unit. Has, yeah. You know. Oh. Yeah. And there yeah, is, but the, um, go ahead. The post office has been shooting up places for years. <laughs> well, you know what? There is some, pra- like, uh, I mean, I don't know if they should have all these tactical units, but I think there is, there are some practical uses, right, for, for, for them having the suppressors the same with the same practical units, reasons why we have it. Yeah, exactly. Um, you yeah. know, my father-in-law retired law enforcement. He was retired on disability due to hearing loss, you know, and that's mm-hmm. years of, you know, both being on the range and shooting guns, but also, you know, loud radios and cars and sirens with the windows down and things like that. Yeah. Um, and, and actually when I was at, uh, when I was at Gem Tech, his, his 
his, his old apartment where he was the chief, uh, I know scuffers. I got some grant money and said, hey, we've, you know, we've paid out disability claims for hearing loss and, mm-hmm. you know, we need to get some suppressors so we can protect hearing. So, you know, they're not, they're not tools just for, you know, tactical teams and, and spooky stuff. They're, they're just a useful means of, of protecting hearing and reducing liability. Yeah. Yeah. Um, did some, I think someone, uh, I don't know if Knox wanted to jump in or Rich, if you wanted to jump in on something. Well, I mean, if you want to get suppressors legalized across the board, mm-hmm. you go talk to OSHA and say, you need this for hearing protection. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Tomorrow, if you have a gun, it's got to have a suppressor on it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. We've been doing that for years. Yeah. We've been, we've been with the medical community for years trying yeah. to get them on suppressors. Um, and this past fall, actually, we, we finally got one of them to put pen to paper. Uh, oh, the National really? Association came out with a letter uh, addressed to us that not only supported the Hearing Protection Act, but suppressors as a tool to mitigate hearing damage. Hmm. Uh, That's good. and NIOSH have put out studies, you know, in the past that have, you know, kind of had suppressors as a bit of an ancillary um, you know, hey, like in order to reduce noise exposure at a shooting range, you know, for students and instructors, you should use suppressors mm-hmm. for their legal and that kind of mm-hmm. stuff. But the NHGA was really the first to stick their neck out and, and say explicitly, unequivocally, we need to push legislation to deregulate suppressors so that more people can have access to them. Um, and we've been, I mean, you know, honest to God, that took five years. Um, and we've been working with other organizations like the American Academy of Audiology, who, in my opinion, they're derelict in their duty, right? They're yeah. allowing politics and their anti-gun personal politics to affect their core mission of trying to uh, mitigate hearing damage and, and protect people's hearing. Mm-hmm. Um, and it goes, you know, the same for the AMA, the American Medical Academy, and all these other organizations that refuse to take a stand. Yeah. Um, but it just shows their true um, nature, in our opinion. This is not yeah. so. If you're if you're like an anti-gun person or something, looking at this uh, anti-suppressor or whatever, and you're looking at this and you just think we're just saying this as like some kind of Trojan thing, no, this is an actual thing. This is a health. Yeah. This is a this is a, yeah, a this health is a issue. A real life thing. Yeah, this is an absolute thing with many with many sides, many reasons why these are good things. I think that there's a lot of people. So I remember one time we had this big uh, gamer on. And he, he, you know, he seemed like he was reasonably pro-gun, right? He bought guns and everything. But when we got on the subject of suppressors, he was like, no, you know, suppressors are just really for assassins. Only people who buy those things want to kill people. No, that's not, you know, maybe you see that in a movie. And what's happening is that these people are being moved by movies. It would be similar to if Trump was looking at a movie and the movie said there's no such thing as global warming. And then then the other side of that argument says, look at this crazy guy. He's looking at movies and using that as his basis here. It's the same thing when they say that. What you yeah. see in movies is not the reality. You're seeing someone shooting like, a, you know, a, I don't know, an AR-15 or something, and it sounds super quiet. That's I've, I've never seen that Yeah, or heard yeah. that. One, yeah. One thing I like to bring up when we're you know, meeting with folks in the media, doing demonstrations or – talking with legislators and they bring up the assassin stuff all the time. Mm-hmm. Right. Mm-hmm. And, well, you know, have you ever shot with a suppressor before? Generally the answer is no. Mm-hmm. Um, and say, okay, so where have you been exposed to them? It's through Hollywood. Mm-hmm. And my retort is, okay, well, you know, have you seen Jurassic park? Most people have seen Jurassic park. Okay. Well, does that make you a paleontologist? Does that make you an 
right? Mm-hmm. Obviously. Okay, well, so how do you expect to develop an informed position politically uh, or in any regard on something that you've never actually been exposed to? Mm-hmm. Uh, and suppressors are absolutely a victim of Hollywood's um, uh, this kind of myth that they've built around it. Mm-hmm. Um, and to, to Hiram Percy Maxwell and his original marketing. Um, so it became kind of an easy fictional way to portray them. Um, but the sound effects that you hear in the movies are as real as the dinosaurs that you see in Jurassic Park. Mm-hmm. It's pure, unadulterated fiction. Yeah. Um, and that's kind of the wall that we have to break through. Mm-hmm. I think the sound is, you know, uh, sound is very important to us as human beings, right? Our sense of hearing. And there's lots of things around us that make uh, a lot of noise. And, you know, I don't know, maybe some of these guys would say, well, there shouldn't be guns. Well, I'm not, that's not going to happen. And, and yeah. we're not going for that. And people should train. They should be aware of how to use these firearms that they have so they could be safer and all that kind of stuff. And while they're, do- you don't want to just buy, you could, you could do it. I'm not saying you can't do it. You could do whatever you want to do. But, you know, you should do this. And in the process of doing it, you shouldn't lose your hearing behind that, right? You know, this is one of the most precious things to us as human beings and you shouldn't lose it. So this is this is why it's so important and trying to block it because of of what these folks think here. They don't they don't know. I hear the thing that, oh, well, you could go somewhere with an AR or something like that. Or they say an assault rifle and just, Mm -hmm. you know, shoot this thing with a suppressor and no one's going to know what's happening. Yeah. Yeah. We we heard pretty effectively. I thought debunked it. It's just. It becomes willful ignorance for people. Mm-hmm. They don't want to hear what you're saying. They don't want to listen to the scientific arguments. But yeah. I know for uh, the Virginia Beach shooting, um, you know, there was reports around people saying, oh, well, it sounded like a nail gun. Um, so we, we reached out to some of our um, scientific friends um, who have databases compiled of peak impulse noises that are actually scientifically captured. So these folks work for CDC and NIOSH, mm-hmm. um, OSHA, and all these other organizations. So these are this is good data. This isn't just an amateur with a boom mic saying, I'm going to record the peak sound level. These are actual, you know, doctors who are, are doing this for a living. Mm-hmm. Um, we said, hey, what's the peak noise, the sound pressure level for a nail gun? It's about 100 decibels. Um, that's kind of uh, about the, the upper end form. Mm-hmm. Um, so we said, okay, um, let's compare that to the quietest, you know, AR that you can get, about 130 decibels. Mm-hmm. Um, so, the difference between 100 to 130 decibels doesn't sound like a ton. Oh, 30 decibels, so about you know 30% increase, right? No, these are not linear numbers, right? Mm-hmm. They are logarithmic. So it works in much the same way as, say, like the uh, the Richter scale, uh, where a slight increase translates to a massive um, Yeah, increase. with sound, for sure. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. So you look at that difference, it's not mm-hmm. just you know a third louder. It is a thousand times yeah, you guys can hear that. I know that. That thing that thing does not have a suppressor on it. <laughs> okay? <laughs> I live in Florida. People take those off. <laughs> yeah. They literally jack up their cars and cut those things off. You just heard it. <laughs> and that's a car. Mm-mm. Yeah, that's but a no, car. These things are, are still incredibly loud. Yeah. Um, and they that yeah. like, quiet as a nail gun. Like, no, it is immensely louder than that. Um, even at their quietest. Yeah, and even um, how many how many incidents have we had like that? Uh, James Miller says, "How many murders are committed by assassins?" <laughs> Please, yeah, <laughs> yeah. I mean, well, let's think yeah. about it. And I, and I'll tell you guys something that people always tell me. Uh, 
nothing is quieter than a knife. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, you know, whenever I get people telling me, oh, well, only assassins use suppressors, I always tell them, well, why in the hell would an assassin use a suppressor? Mm-hmm. And I'll take them out in the backyard with my uh, Ruger 2245, put my 22 can on it, pop around. That's how loud a suppressed 22 is. Take the can off, ball up a towel, stick the muzzle in a towel, shoot it. You could barely hear the gun. Mm-hmm. Why the hell would they use a suppressor mm-hmm. when you can use a towel and it's much quieter? Yeah, there's a whole bunch of different things. I think it's just, oh. it's just, it's just, uh, I don't know what the g- word for it is. You guys could tell me. I'm going to say it's misplaced reality. Yeah. <laughs> misplaced reality on that. I know when, when we had that gamer come on and he was talking about it, we had a conversation with him about that. I hope it, sh- uh, it changed his mind. Because overall, if, you know, he's someone who seemed to enjoy shooting. If you enjoy shooting, and you and you go places. This is like the best way to do it. Uh, some people don't have a choice but to shoot indoors, you yeah. know, and that's really bad. Yeah, you and know, it, it doesn't make it louder, but you're being exposed to the concussive effect more times because it's bouncing off the walls more. Yeah, um, yeah. Your mind shooting ranges have sound technology. <laughs> the way that they build the roof baffles in, mm-hmm. and that they, you know, put up on the sidewalls, but there's only so much that you can do because that will ultimately collect lead and dust and unspent gunpowder, which creates a massive fire hazard. Mm-hmm. Um, oh, that's fun. Yeah. 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 One of those goes up. <laughs> yeah. So <laughs> when, we, uh, when we mentioned assassins here, lots of people talking about Hillary. Flying Rich says, you mean yeah. how many? How busy is Hillary Clinton? <laughs> he uses a revolver. Yeah, Michael Avis <laughs> says, murders by assassins, ask Hillary. <laughs> you know? So, okay, so let's, can we, uh, with the time that we have here, can we try to look at the future of what's going on here? I don't know if you guys spend any time looking at that. Obviously, we're going through this COVID thing. Maybe there's not as much uh, activism going on. Or, or are you still guys still really active even though you can't actually go places yeah we're you know we're, we're doing as much as we can like everyone else you know mm-hmm. from from quarantine essentially um you know but we're still communicating on a regular basis with 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 members with uh with with our legislative contacts mm-hmm. uh you know a lot of right now um a lot of time spent just planning and organizing and you know being ready for when when things open back up um, you know, conversations with ATF talking about, you know, how can we get, you know, an actual functional e-form system mm-hmm. working? You know, we've heard um, many optimistic timelines of when that might be, and we've kind of stopped uh, communicating those beyond because uh, they've, they've missed most of them. So, mm-hmm. um, you know, but we, we do have, you know, good relationships with contacts at ATF, and there's mm-hmm. been some movement there, and People Do you think they're really interested in that? I mean, uh, the ATF is notoriously understaffed, right? Um, yes. But at the same time, the guys in the organization might not want to find a reason to streamline this, especially if they would maybe rather see more people get hired or, you know, I, I think it's a good thing to streamline it, but they may not really believe that's a good so- thing. You know, I can't speak to that in terms of, of uh, you know, the internal politics or, mm-hmm. or conversations we have there. We can only kind of say what they've told us, mm-hmm. and uh, they're they're working on it. They're 
supposedly. Um, and, and we're hopeful that's one of the things we're pushing for because, you know, I think we talked about that roller coaster of, of forms as transfer times go up and down and, and how that affects. Yeah. And, and, you know, in the current system, the only the only thing they can do to address that is to throw more people at it. Mm-hmm. People cost money. People take time to train. Um, they're even discovering that they're they're coming to a point of diminishing returns that um, is as crazy as this sounds. But as you add more people and they continue to expand that office, then every piece of paper that has to move from one desk to another now eventually has to travel further. And I mean, we're talking a matter of feet, but you take anything in terms of time, you know, something that takes 10 seconds or a minute longer or has to move. 10 feet further mm-hmm. um, anyone that's been in a, in a high volume manufacturing facility knows all about those time cycles mm-hmm. um, you know they, they physically have to move paper further and, and you know now multiply that by 300,000 form 4 applications they're going to receive you know a question we often get or, or people often ask in, in um, exasperation is well why does it take so long to approve a form 4 it, it shouldn't take any time at all. And, and they're right. It, it doesn't take that long to process a form four in terms of no. you know, completing the background check and marking it approved and stamping it signed and affixing the stamp. But it's, it's the problem is, is that there's 150,000 forms in front of yours that they've got to get through before yours gets approved. And that's, you know, that's a frustrating part. Um, yeah. and, and the system's and weird. This, like checks go one place and the form goes another place. <laughs> Yeah, so, um, you know, to, to get a little background on that, so checks used to go to Atlanta, mm-hmm. and then they, then they went up to West Virginia. Um, now they go to Portland, and what that is is ATF, of course, uses a contractor to mm-hmm. process payments. So right now it's U.S. Bank. It used to be Bank of America. So now they go to Portland, Oregon. So even that, you're, you know, it doesn't seem like a lot, but you're, you're you know, say Knox there in Atlanta, he used to mail it, and it'd be there same day or next day now he's got to mail it all the way to portland oregon who then you know they've got a contractor that opens the envelope and processes the check or credit card payment then they put them in a you know they batch them and mail them all the way to west virginia mm-hmm. um and so e- even that if moving to an electronic system where the payments are processed electronically and and you know the data entry is already done and all those things would create huge efficiencies mm-hmm. that would start down on that transfer yeah, uh, I've seen them. I've seen them mix up people's credit cards and things like that. Oh yeah, and checks yeah, you know, and all that stuff. Yeah, yeah. It, you know, it's it's not intentional. It's mm-hmm. just that, you know every every human involved in that process. There's a potential for mistakes there. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, I would you know in defense of the folks. Um, you know, Knox and I have met the the mm-hmm. legal instrument examiners, the folks at NFA that process those forms, and you know they're hardworking people. They do a great job. And, you know, they're they're working as hard as they can, um, you know, imagine in their shoes for a minute that uh, that, you know, you come into your desk every day and that stack of paper never gets any smaller, no matter how hard you work. Yeah, uh, I've got a trick that can help. I've got a trick that can help. <laughs> right. Um, abolished ATF. Yeah, that, that would be good. They'll be on yeah. a permanent yeah. vacation. <laughs> Don't it's, have it's, government workers do it. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, you know. No, I know. I understand where you're coming from. Go ahead. Go ahead. Uh, looks like Knox wanted to jump in there. Yeah, I mean, the abolish the ATF stuff is is something that we obviously hear a lot of. Right, right. Um, I know you guys have to deal with these guys, so you're you know, you know the, we know fine lines. Uh huh. 
mm-hmm. um, you know, it it becomes one of those things that like, yes, we would all love to see something like that happen. The problem would be. And then we lost Knox. How did that happen? <laughs> and then we lost <laughs> I think I know where he's going with this. And in all likelihood. You know, the, the, the problem there is no. that the abolish is – what's that? Yeah, I think we got him back. We lost you for a second, oh. Knox. Cool. Okay. Yeah, I mean, so say we let's, – let's like jump down this rabbit hole. If we do abolish the ATF, mm-hmm. it will go to the F and quite frankly would be worse. Um, there, in fact, ATF gets, you know, poo-pooed on quite a bit for the long wait times, when in reality, uh, the FBI is one of the larger culprits um, because they run the NICS checks. And at the end of the day, the background check for an NFA item is just a NICS check. There's mm. no super secret, you know, mm. background check. They have your fingerprints and passport photos because that's what they had back in the day um, before they had a computerized system. Um, but they're superfluous to the process at this point. Um FBI has the mandate to process form or Title I NICS checks within that three business day time frame. Otherwise, the transfer can proceed. Um, technically, the transfer could proceed if ATF were to approve them without a NICS approval. Nonetheless, FBI knows that ATF is never going to do that in a million years. So if they receive a form and say there's been an influx of Title I forms and they don't want to process NFA applications that day. They don't. Mm-hmm. If you get delayed, the three things could happen when you submit a next check. You either get auto-proceed, auto-deny, or delay. And the delay, as Owen alluded to earlier, could be as simple as, you know, if there's another Knox Williams um, who might have a, a glitch on their record um, and it pings that, um, normally when it gets that becomes a delay right so they're saying we don't know about this person we need to kick it down to the next guy and generally it seems instantaneous you know you can generally resolve most of those problems within a minute or two mm-hmm. they instead put it in a pile off to the side and said well this got delayed we'll get to it when we get to it and that could be months later um so therein lies the rub um but like the i you know <laughs> atf um actually almost was abolished could have been abolished under the bush administration um but they kind of realize like, okay, well, if we abolish them, then we're just shifting the problem. It's not going to actually solve anything. Mm -hmm. Um, For us, um, from our perspective, the biggest thing that they need to do is take a step out of the first half of the 20th century, right? I mean, like the fax machine is one of their most utilized pieces of technology. I can't even fax. I don't even know how to fax. Yeah. When when they set up an email to receive NFA applications at ATF, the the actual email includes the word fax in the email address, if you can believe that. Like, you made an email address with the word fax in it. Yeah. 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 So let me... let me see I, if, if you guys don't have anything. Let me get to a question. Len Holt says, uh, question on the trust versus individual. Is the trust easier to place in the last will and testament? Uh, I think we spoke about that a little bit, but. Um, Paul, a yeah, lawyer. We, uh, yeah, essentially, yeah, that's the answer. Lawyer. I'm not mm-hmm. a lawyer. I can't give legal advice. There's my disclaimer. Yeah. Um, <laughs> it, it, and, and so much of it can be very state. Mm-hmm. Specific, um, you know, differently in different states in many cases. So um, it, that really is a question for an attorney that really isn't an, an expert on estate matters. Mm-hmm. Um, that hopefully has some firearm and NFA knowledge as well. But, mm-hmm. but that's a good question. 
Yeah. Um, let's see. Uh, there's a there's a couple of different things. So, but let me let me jump to this. Um, so let's go back to getting suppressors off uh, the NF the uh, NFA, right? If if we can get all the circumstances right, uh, most of which are probably not in you guys' hands. I think it's the people. People need to vote or whatever. You know, then the politicians that you vote for need to keep their promises. We, we can get we can get crazy with that, right? But let's say let's say we could wave a wand and get that. What does what does the world what does America look like? in that, you know, because everyone had their own ideas of what it looked like. I've got you guys on. I think, you know, it'd be great to get you to tell me what that would really look like. I mean, what would um, it sound? Yeah, look, what would it look like for us as gun guys, as owners? Yeah, <laughs> yeah what would it sound like? I get it. Right, go ahead. Uh, I, I think, you know, to maybe maybe this is a good spot mm-hmm. to dispel a few myths that we mm-hmm. really heard a lot during the, you know, the, the hype about yeah. HPA and mm-hmm. people thought I was Ask. One is that they become, you know, instantly cheap and available. Um, you know, imagine taking some. Uh, uh, we have a manufacturing base that has the capability of producing you know, probably three to five hundred thousand suppressors a year. That's really what the the current kind of consumer demand is, and that's mm-hmm. you know, manufacturing and supply and demand sort of equalizes. Mm-hmm. So now you take something and completely deregulate it. Um, or well, not deregulated, but move it into a Title One firearm space where all you mm-hmm. do is go down to your local and do a yeah. check. Oh. Yeah. So and and yeah, that's something we should probably define a little bit because I don't think everyone like that's one of the things that I thought when you were saying it earlier. People don't realize that you weren't saying, "Hey, you could just go in, you know, to Walmart, get a pack of bubble gum, and get a suppressor at the same time." Mm-hmm. That whole thing yeah, was exactly. you were still going to have to do a background check, right? Yeah, still yeah. background check forty four seventy three. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And those, you know, the whole thing. Well, right, like there is a bill out there called the Shush Act that would the shush. completely, yeah. um, you know, as hard and heavy of a lift as the Air Protection Act is and will be. And we hear a lot of people tell us it'll never happen. I personally don't believe that. I think that we will get it. Mm-hmm. Um, I do not see a universe in which we will ever get suppressors to the point where they're treated like a scope um, and. Yeah. Trans- without uh, at least a next check that's something i would love to see um i just i don't but realistically we're talking yeah. about realism right right uh, okay. we're, we're yeah. we don't think can actually get pushed across the finish line mm-hmm. yeah no yeah i think it is but feasible think, to get yeah. the hearing protection act for sure um you just have to have a bunch of things line up and then also you know you you were talking about these um incidents that happened we, we have to realize i'm not happy that those things happen but we just we just the same things keep happening and we just keep thinking the same solution that we have is going to fix that, which is throw more laws on top of it. And that's not happening. So we need to people people in America need to come to this point where they understand that that's not going to happen. People need to be able to defend themselves. We have the Second Amendment. There's all these things going on, you know, and and hey, you need to allow people to uh, to, to have easier access, I think to suppressors for what we were talking about, their, their, their health, right? Their hearing. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, so. yeah. So to go back to what you were saying, Owen, if we get there, you're saying that right now the production capacity is about what? Three to 500,000 cans. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. I think, you know, that's, that's pretty realistic. And so it's going to mm-hmm. take 
you know, time for, you know, new manufacturers to come online, you know, companies that maybe weren't in the suppressor space to, to design something and get into that market. Mm-hmm. So there's going to be at least an initial gap where de- demand far outstrips supply. And, you know, anytime mm-hmm. that happens, naturally prices tend to go up too. Mm-hmm. So, um, you know, I think initially there will be a, a, a severe shortage of suppressors at least in the short term, probably a year to 18 months. Mm-hmm. And while, while people catch up, um, you know, after that, yeah, costs could come down just by economy of scale, you know, manufacturing, being able to say, instead of manufacturing 10,000, you make 100,000 or something, your costs are going to go down. So you will be able to offer some of that in, in mm-hmm. reduction. In, um, yeah. But, but still, know, but if, if you're, but so for, so for, I think, um, one, like we were saying, there's still going to be regulation. So if you're going to get into the business of making it, the people getting into the business are going to have to jump through those hoops. They're going to have to have the manufacturing facilities. None of them want mm-hmm. to get on the bad side of Richard and make, <laughs> you know, and make horrible things. So you've got that. And that's what they're going to do. Yeah, I think a lot of people pro- – because it's not, it's not something that's restrictive. So there will be people getting in there. But you've got um, – you still have the materials, right? It still takes uh, yeah. certain machinery and everything to make these things. How low – I don't know what the average price of a suppressor is. That's kind of a weird question because I guess that depends on what caliber we're talking and all that. Exactly. Yeah, but how much yeah. how much are we really going to save off of the price? You know, it's hard to say. Um, you know, I think I think the the industry will probably fan out a bit. You know, but right now it's pretty focused that there's a low end and a, and a high end that's kind of you know this far apart. Whether it's twenty two or titanium three thirty eight can, mm-hmm. you know, it's kind of in this range. And I think that range will expand some, just like the normal firearm industry. You've got. You know, five hundred dollar nineteen elevens. You got three thousand dollar nineteen elevens. You got two hundred dollar pocket pistols. You've got five thousand dollar pistols. And so there will be a broader range of suppressors. But and I think consumers and the market will, um, you know, sort of decide. You know, what's more. You know, do they want value or do they want high quality or both? Mm -hmm. Um, So yeah, you'll see some cheaper suppressors, but there's only so cheap you can get, and the quality still better be there. Um, you know, now that you don't have, you know, if you don't have a $200 tax tied to it and a long waiting period, people may be more inclined to, to try a cheaper brand and see if it's, you know, good enough. Mm-hmm. Um, now, you know, right now, because of that long transfer time, that $200 tax, you know, people tend to spend more and spend for high quality yeah. because they're, yeah. they're, they're married. Thing. Yeah. I mean, but also like, so, so if you could, if you're going to buy a two, I, this is what I've seen. People might be buying, let's say, a $200 handgun, right? Let's mm-hmm. say on the low end. I think you could probably get a handgun brand new, depending on where you get it from, for $150. Let's put it at two. Okay, those people buy that. They do a background check. They, that's not disposable. <laughs> no one looks at that as disposable. Uh, I think uh, I think Knox wants to jump in on this. Yeah, one one thing that would be shaved right off the top would be that $200 tax stamp. Yeah. Mm-hmm. You know? So I think that 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 would and be the wait time, the wait time. Yeah, yeah. absolutely. Mm-hmm. That would be huge. Yeah. Um, yeah. You know, I do have to dis- disagree yeah. with Owen a little bit. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think if suppressors became a Title One item, mm-hmm. um, one, you're going to have a bunch of idiots jump in. We're going to make twenty-two suppressors. And we're going to sell them for 99 bucks. 
or 75 bucks and they're going to be a piece of garbage mm-hmm. and they're going to flood the market with them. There's going to be, a, you know, 50 companies that do that. The big companies, you know, are going to keep doing what they're doing. Prices will eventually come down on the, the quality stuff a little bit, not a whole lot. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, these small ones that are making junk, they're going to be in there, you know, within a year, two years, they're going to be out of business. Some other schmuck will be in, um, <laughs> you know, there, there's going to be a couple of companies like high point and say all you want about high point, but they go bang. They make a, you know, they make a gun that works. It's not right, pretty. It's not the prettiest gun. Right. Yeah. There's right. going to be, there's going to be a couple of suppressor companies that follow the exact same model as high point and they're going to make a good living at it. If they make a um, decent can and like the, right. the customer you know, service stuff the is guys, there. Yeah. And these are the guys that I'm talking that they're going to say, okay, we're going to make this thing cheap. Here's our price point. Mm-hmm. We're going to go after the low end. Yeah. But we want to make a decent suppressor. Yeah. At the same you know, time, you're always going to have the guys that are that maybe have a lot of suppressors already and want to climb up to that. Next. We're always going to be looking for the next thing. We're always going oh, to be yeah. looking for better sound suppression, lighter weight. Uh, you know, we're just going to keep looking will, for better things. I will always be able to sell one of my suppressors for two to three grand. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You know, custom built, handmade, you know, it mm-hmm. don't go out unless it's perfect. Mm-hmm. You know, people are still going to spend that. Yeah. Um, you know, the big companies, Silencer Co., Gemtech, Advanced Armament, um, their prices might drop maybe a quarter in the long run, but they're not going to plummet. You know, people say, oh, you're going to be able to pick up a Gemtech suppressor for thirty nine ninety five. You know, it ain't going to happen. Yeah. yeah, good luck with that. I think it takes a yeah. little bit more than that to make a suppressor. Yeah, I mean... Yeah. It's, it's not as simple as everyone... I mean, it, okay, yes, it's simple, right? We're talking about simple in terms of, you know, it's a tube. Yeah, <laughs> the know. designs are not that Yeah, it's got baffles. But there, but there are other things that go into it, right? Exactly how are you producing that tube? How are you making those baffles? What adaptability goes in there? Yeah, you can if, if it's a basic thing and easy enough to make, I think, yeah, you could get I don't know if you can get it down to fifty bucks. But like I said, I spent ninety nine bucks on a suppressor. But uh, the market was falling apart. Yeah. Mm-hmm. You know, at the time. And I think if we got something like that, like Owen is saying and, and, and Knox is saying, we're not gonna see the market for that fall apart. Right now, there's so many people in America that do not want to get into suppressors. I forgot. I think maybe it's Knox that said it earlier. People don't want to feel like the government could come to your house. You got to fill out this thing and do that thing. If we open this up, you're going to see because I I could tell you from when I make videos. So regular videos, um, gun stuff, people tend to look at that. I think that suppressor videos get, I don't know, like a quarter of the audience because automatically people look at it and like, oh, well, I'm never going to buy a suppressor. Yeah. You know, so they don't think about that. I think we'll get into that zone where people are like, you know what? I'm all in now. Right? Yeah. And um, I'm not sure how does that how does that mesh, guys? This just came to my mind. How does that mesh with the states that don't allow it? The- so, yeah, well, I mean, yeah, at this point those those states would still not allow us to Right. Okay. Yeah. It's 
Mm-hmm. Um, it's going to be just um, like the ARs. Yeah. We, yeah, we wrote a provision into the Hearing Protection Act that would ensure, um, because there is discrepancy in state law, you know, like the way that they're drafted, um, some of them are hyper-specific in the way that they referenced federal law. Um, so we included a provision in there that would, you know, do our best to ensure that there wouldn't be any overlapping issues that would essentially preempt them. So the 42 states that are legal to own would still remain legal to own regardless of what their state legislation says. Okay. Um, and that's something we're proactively working on behind the scenes. It's not very sexy, mm-hmm. um, but it's something that you know needs to be done because that could be a logistical issue. You know, a state that doesn't want to ban suppressors, if they're taken out of the NFA and that state law says, you know, it has to be registered in compliance with the National Firearms Act, well, you know, we're in a little bit of a, of a disconnect. Um, mm-hmm. So those are the kind of things that, you know, most of your consumers aren't going to think about um, that, you know, Join us. This is what we think about. These are the the problems that we're trying to preempt to make sure. Okay, and then we took you for a The guy with the clearest picture. <laughs> okay, there you go. I think we got him back. We lost the last part of what you said, Knox. Cool. Yeah. I mean, it, it just essentially, you know, we're trying to to preempt those problems and mm-hmm. and make sure that they never come. Yeah. Yeah. Go go ahead, Owen. Well, just, you know, being the numbers guy, I'll give you some more numbers just okay. to think about. And that, you know, at last, uh, let's see, January of 2020, talking to ATF at SHOT Show, there was, uh, they gave us a number 1.8, just shy of 1.8 million suppressors in the registry. Mm. Um, okay. And so, you know, I feel safe saying right now there's right about 2 million suppressors in the registry. Mm-hmm. Well, uh, there's probably, what, a half a billion guns in private hands in America. Mm-hmm. I think, you know, last year ATF was saying something like 400 million. Um, I, think, I think we're well north of that at this point. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Record mm-hmm. sales. So, mm-hmm. you know. Yeah, the first touching. quarter of this year we passed that, I'm sure. Yeah. yeah. So, you know, we're, we're you figure suppressors are touching about a quarter percent of all the guns in America, a quarter to maybe half percent of all the guns in America. So there's a lot of room for growth there, mm-hmm. you know, and, and same kind of, there's what, a hundred and some million gun owners in America. And I think 5 million of them might be NRA members, um, you know, only 5% um, ASA. We figure there's probably a half million suppressor owners. If you, if you take all the people on trusts and things like that, mm-hmm. um, you know, got about 5,000 members so you know suppressors have a lot of room to grow ASA has a lot of room to grow yeah you know we got a lot of people still to, to get into the fold of, of suppressor advocacy mm-hmm. so yeah let me ask you guys this question uh, this also just popped in my head so obviously like we talked about in the beginning you guys have some big companies out there that are supporting you um, mm-hmm. Do you ever get like people saying, hey, you represent the big companies, not necessarily the smaller ones? You know, when you're out there, when you're going to Congress and doing all the things that you're doing, um, I, this is, I'm not trying to, I want to put this in the most diplomatic way possible, right? Because I think sometimes we've seen in other places where when you have stuff like that going on, maybe those guys make carve outs for the people who support them. How do you guys deal with that? You know, when you're out there fighting for suppressor rights, are you doing things like that? Or you're you're still fighting for the folks who aren't on board with you? How does that work? Yeah. yeah. 
Yeah, I mean, um, you know, I think, yeah, we're, we're really fighting for everyone, um, you know, and, and we understand that there are sometimes conflicting um, goals or, you know, people have ideas of how they think something should be done, you mm -hmm. know, this way, that way. And, you know, oftentimes it's, it's you know, we, we've got a multi-pronged approach, like Knox said in the beginning. It's like, hey, the end goal is we want the pressers out of the NFA. Mm -hmm. Would we be? Happy if there was a really good functioning NFA e-form system, like yeah, that's mm -hmm. a step in the right direction to mm -hmm. at least reduce transfers and things like that. Yeah. Um, so same kind of thing, you know. Big companies may have you know a, a goal or a direction in mind, and smaller companies may. Mm -hmm. um, but that's really where we try and be all inclusive. And like Knox said, we want to have everyone in the fold, regardless of size, so that at least they you know, are, are making their voices heard. Mm -hmm. Um, you know, really the only, the only voices we're not hearing are the ones that are, are choosing for one reason or another to not be involved, whether it's, mm -hmm. they just didn't know ASA was out there or they, they've made some choice to not be involved in ASA. Okay. But I mean, when you know, guys are talking, when you guys are talking laws, you're not talking any kind of carve outs, right? Like whatever you're fighting for, you're fighting for everyone. Absolutely. Yeah. We, okay. we fight specifically for the common good. Um, mm -hmm. And we're never going to um, approach members, you know, with pet projects for individual companies. Okay. Um, you know, there there might be circumstances that arise where, you know, issues do come up. But it, at the end of the day, no, like this is what is best for the common good of both, mm -hmm. you know, kind of every facet of the community, whether it's manufacturing and selling them or the end users um, and balancing that to make sure that, that we're really working for everybody. Mm -hmm. um, believe it or not, I mean, there, there are manufacturers that don't want to see the Hearing Protection Act passed. There are a lot of people, some people within the industry that don't want to see something like that happen. Why would that be? I mean, I would think that all of us, if we're gun guys, we want we want more access to suppressors, not less. I mean, that's, I, that's I, how I, my crazy mind works. Yeah. Okay. They're afraid of the, um, you know, okay. and some people are more resistant to change than others. Mm -hmm. um, but from our perspective... Our goal will never change. Mm -hmm. um, and, you know, the day that my board directs me to to not work on, you know, mm -hmm. ultimately try to get suppressors out of the National Firearms Act, that's the day that I'm going to resign. Okay. Um, you know, we, we, Owen and I are in this because we care about it. You know, mm -hmm. we cut our teeth in the suppressor industry. We love these things and we really believe in them. Mm -hmm. um, so this is as much a passion project as it is a profession, um, which we feel very fortunate about. Okay. Um, you know, obviously... We'd love to continue to grow, and the more that we can grow, the more effective that we'll be. Um, but nonetheless, like you know, we're in it for the right reasons. We are part of that suppressor community. That's why this organization exists. Um, you know, it's not something that dates back hundreds of years. It it goes back specifically to 2011, and you know, I wanted to hunt with a suppressor in Georgia. Mm -hmm. We couldn't. You know, mm -hmm. so we formed an organization. We realized at the time the National Rifle Association, NSF, and all these other groups weren't. We said, if they're not going to help, then we will. Mm -hmm. um, and they came forward pretty quick. Different organizations. At different yeah, times. I think the I think the bump stock guys could have used that. We might see a world where the people going for the uh, like the the braces, right? The pistol yeah. braces might uh, need some advocacy. Sometimes, you, listen, you gotta you gotta fight fire with fire. Yeah, yeah. you know, there's a it, lot of funding on the other side. Of, of what we're talking about here yeah you look at look at a state like virginia right where we spend a lot of time and we'll continue to spend a lot of time for the foreseeable future because they're coming after guns and suppressors mm. as long as it takes um nra you know a five million member organization was outspent i believe 10 to 1 
by one person, Michael Bloomberg. Mm -hmm. He, uh, through his every town um, mm -hmm. organization, you know, the Moms Demand Action and every town and the mayors and all that stuff, I think he funneled in three to five million dollars to that organization alone. And then he set up a separate organization focused on climate change where he funneled in about the same amount of money into that state. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I think we just lost him there for a second. Look, I, I think we'll see. We'll, we'll we can very shortly hear. Uh, see, yeah. Can you can you hear us, Knox? Yeah, we, we missed the last part. Go ahead, hit us with that again. Yeah, he, he funneled in about ten million dollars into a state level election, which is mm -hmm. astronomical. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and, uh, and he's so continuing to do side. it. By the way, I think that's pretty much yeah. the reason why he was running to set himself up so he could uh, do this in every state. And now what I was going to say is I think we could easily see a situation here where like uh, trigger manufacturers, lots of different manufacturers here, if they don't have people advocating specifically for what they make, they're going to be in trouble because we're already seeing evidence of them yeah. going after these things one at a time. I, I just really quickly wanted to get this from uh, Richard. You know, you're, you're involved in suppressors and everything like that. You're kind of like old school here. What do you think about what these guys are doing and what they're working for? Do you think that's a, a good or a bad thing? Oh, it's a good thing. Um, <clears throat> you know, they seem to be going about it the right way. They seem to be doing a good job at it. Um, suppressors are going to come off the NFA list. I don't know when, but I know for sure mm -hmm. that they are going to come off the NFA list. And I think a lot of that is, the more states that start to allow hunting with suppressors, you're going to get all those guys who hunt or a lot of them buying a suppressor to hunt with. Good point. And look, we all know suppressors mm -hmm. are like crack. You can't have one. Yeah. I bought a 22 <laughs> you know, suppressor. That was the end of me. And, you know. Yeah. That's the gateway drug. Oh, yeah. yeah. You know, I always tell people when they – when it, well, I want to get a suppressor. It's like, just get a 22 suppressor. Yeah. Uh, just start with that. It's cheap. You know, there's a ton of good ones. Mm -hmm. You'll have more fun with that than any other suppressor. Mm -hmm. Well, I don't know. I want one for my nine millimeter. It's like, you're going to get one for your nine millimeter. Just start here. Well, how do you know I'm going to get one? Because you're not dead yet. You know, <laughs> you'll have 10 before this is all done. Yeah, good point. I think that um, I, I hope so like money wise, right, guys, do you guys feel like you're getting enough uh, funding for this fight that you're making? Do you feel, you know, what's how do you guys look at this? And the reason why I'm asking this question is because I'm sure the people who do care about this out there are wondering, like, what can they do to help? Right. I think yeah. it's going to I think it's good that there's industry behind you. I think lots of things that we're all fighting for needs the industry to be behind it, to, to keep it going. But the people, the folks out there need to actually get behind it, too. So, you know, if you guys could just speak about that in, in the time that we have left. Yeah. Um, speaking, you know, the larger that our coffers are, the larger that our membership base is, the more effective it will be. That allows us to travel on a dime. We're plane tickets. I've, the, the most expensive plane ticket that I've ever bought was flying to Iowa for a committee hearing that was scheduled in the afternoon and I need to be there in the morning. Um, you know, it was like, well, I'm gonna pay whatever I'm gonna pay. We spent about $1,400 on that plane ticket mm -hmm. and did that about a dozen times. 
it ended up paying off. We got uh, suppressor ownership and legal uh, and hunting it, legalized in that state. Yeah, that was um, cool. That like, was like a couple of years ago, right? That wasn't too long ago that you got in, in Iowa. Maybe okay, fifteen. Yeah. yeah. Um, you know, so like those sorts of things matter. Um, and mm-hmm. to your point about you know, things like trigger manufacturers and bump stop manufacturers needing someone representing them, um, if you are starting your fight when there's a five engine fire, you're never going to put it out. Yep, you you're doomed. To. Yeah. Yeah. That's that's really a big part of what we're doing. And you know, Richard, to your point, you know, we we recognized pretty early on that the state level was A, where we could make change and B something that would have a federal impact. Um, you know, that's why we really doubled down on the suppressor hunting stuff. And since we formed in 2011, we've had a direct role in 18 states legalizing suppressor hunting. Um, whether we drafted which we did for most of them, going on the ground, registering the lobby, lobbying those bills, taking legislators out on demonstrations. This is all the stuff that we do, um, and we do it behind the scenes. We've been quiet about it for a while, um, you know, especially early on because we didn't want to tip our hat and expose our playbook. At this point, our opposition knows, mm-hmm. um, you know, this out there, and they've they've honestly kind of viewed some of the stuff that we've done and other organizations in our sphere have done and emulated it, and they've been doing it pretty effectively. Um, it's not rocket science. It just takes manpower. It takes determination and, you know, actually going out and doing it. Yeah. Dedication, commitment to it. Uh, Owen, did you want to, uh, to comment on this also? Um, yeah, just kind of to your point of like, what, what does ASA need and, and, you know, where, where are we going and, and, you know, budgetary wise and things like that, you know, Mm -hmm. we, we are, you sit, you're, you're looking at the ASA. It's the two of us full time that, that are the paid employees of the ASA, you know, we don't, we operate on a really small budget. We try and be extremely um, cognizant of, of the money that our sponsors and our members entrust us with. I know that that's, um, you know, a hot button issue right now. Yeah, lots of people care about that. Organization, you know, people want to know. Like, they should, hey, what, yeah. Yeah, right. and, they, and they should yeah. care about that. And, uh, you know, so just know that, that that's something we're always looking at. You know, hey, is this a wise use of the, the money that we've we've been entrusted with? You know, we're not a huge organization in terms of members. Like I said, we've got about 5,000 members. Um, you know, knowing what it costs to be a member, you can, you can kind of extrapolate what what that money is. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, we get about a third of our sponsorship or our funds from, from public members. We get about a third of our sponsorship from corporate sponsors. And about the other third is made up just through fundraising. We host mm-hmm. some raffles throughout the year where you can, you can buy a raffle ticket and have a chance to win suppressors and our sponsors are generous in donating suppressors and tax stamps to us so that, that our winners can, can have those prizes. Oh, cool. um, we are currently in a membership drive. So people can go to cansnotbands.com and, uh, and join ASA. And at the end of the month, uh, actually middle of middle of July, we're going to give away, um, we've got about 15 prizes in there, suppressors, we've got ammo, we've got uh, some other cool stuff. Yeah. The folks uh, out there like free, man. They like that. Yeah. They're yeah. digging that. And you guys are paying yeah. for the, the tax stamp too? Yeah, actually, so. Shop, our, our, our sponsor, they, they cover the tax stamp for our okay. winners. So we appreciate that. And, mm-hmm. and again, thanks to our other sponsor companies that donate prizes, but, uh, that's just, it's, we do those about three times a year membership drives so that, uh, you know, it's, it's just a fun way to, to swell our ranks and also mm-hmm. get back to our members. But, uh, this one is just kind of on the anniversary of what was going on last year in Virginia. So. Okay. All right. Yeah. If there's something that we could do, you know, uh, let us know. Um, I, I appreciate you guys coming on here and talking about it. And, and if there's like times 
that come up again where you're like, hey, you know, we would like to come on and talk to the folks. Maybe we won't spend the whole time talking about suppressors here. I actually uh, enjoy suppressors myself, so I don't mind talking about it. Um, but if you want to do that, you can let us know and, uh, you know, we'll do what we can do to help you guys out with that. Um, awesome. Uh, motorboater, yeah. motorboater has a question here. I'll try to squeeze it in. Okay. <laughs> I'll try to squeeze it in. He says, what classifies a, um, a suppressor? Is there a decibel level that makes it a suppressor? Um, uh, and it, not a muzzle ATF break? saying it's a suppressor. <laughs> <laughs> it's a good question, though. It's a good question, right? Because, yeah. Uh, yeah. There, uh, I mean, Richard's pretty much right. If ATF says it's a suppressor, um, you know, pretty much any device or contrivance to uh, to muffle the sound of a firearm, they've you know they've got some legal ease in there. But mm -hmm. it comes down to ATF determining, hey, we think that's a suppressor. Uh, mm -hmm. But important point on the federal law stuff is that any part or component specifically designed for a suppressor, ATF says that's a suppressor too. So that's why you yeah. don't get to the baffles laying around that the yeah. manufacturer oil filters and lots of things that people out there <laughs> uh think they could get away with and they don't realize uh people are hip to that nowadays and white <laughs> yeah yeah white yeah um, you know scouring pads all kinds of things that yeah. atf is suppressors yeah that's how the um that's pretty much how that goes um so like i'm sure people are still going to have questions probably even after we get off air and people are looking at this they may have questions so where do you guys suggest that they go to if they want to contact you find out more about this or ask questions uh best thing uh email is great info at, at am suppressor.com info at amsuppressor.com is is our email and uh, i respond to a lot of those um you can hit us up on our facebook or instagram um but email's the fastest if you need a response from us so yeah okay awesome and that that works for if they want to talk to either one of you two guys right yep okay yeah. all right very cool uh richard if the folks out there want to talk to you and uh get more of your sage <laughs> your sage <laughs> wisdom <laughs> and the, actually i mean listen i thought uh, I, I thought you'd be great to come on and talk about this because you've been doing this for a long time um so how can the folks get in touch with you rich uh they can email me at richard at bwefirearms.com go to bwefirearms.com i'm on most of the social media sites all at whatever variation they made me use of bwefirearms.com. <laughs> yeah, um, you can find us on, are you, I don't know if you're on Parlor yet or any of you guys are on Parlor, P-A-L-E-R-I-M. That's kind of like a conservative thing that's popping out there right now. So you can find, I'm Hank Strange on there. I don't know if you're on there yet. Uh, I'm not. My yeah. wife is. And I'm like, what the hell? Why does your yeah. phone keep dinging? <laughs> you don't like, need another thing. Parlor thing. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, uh, Brian Quick says I'm I'm almost out of here. Brian Quick says the ATF ruled a muzzle uh, brake sig was trying to come up with was deemed a silencer. It was several inches long, but had no encased sleeve. Still ruled against sig. I think I heard about that. Uh yeah, that was boy. That's been a while. Yeah, is that, now, uh, mm -hmm. four years maybe. Yeah, uh, yeah, maybe long. That's uh, that's the sig monocore that they said. Oh no, it's not a suppressor. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Idiot. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Well, and it was it was threaded at the back for a tube, so I think. Yeah. Got it. Yeah. What a bunch of schmucks. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, uh, you're breaking up here at the end. What was that? What was that? 
Say that again. Yeah, but can you can you hear me now? Yes, yes, we can. Go ahead. Okay. I'd say in Sig's defense, I'm always glad to see when people push the limits with ATF as to what. Yeah. You know what? Stop asking ATF yes, stuff. Oh yeah. Yeah. Stop uh, writing letters, yeah. please. <laughs> Certainly be cautious with it. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Less of those letters. Yeah. Even yeah. I've even heard they don't ask want the answer to them. Uh okay, I'm not sure what you said there in the uh, say that again. Say that last part again. Oh uh, I I've heard ATF people say don't ask a question. You don't want the answer. Okay, yeah, don't ask a question you don't want the answer to. That's what he's saying there, absolutely. Okay, (laughs) listen, so I'm going to run the end here. I'm just going to run the end thing. Uh, You guys stay right there. Don't go anywhere. Um, Okay, thanks for joining us, guys. Uh, You know, big shout-out here to Franklin Armory for sponsoring the show. Make sure you guys subscribe, smash the thumbs up as well uh ring the bell so you can be notified every time we go live uh we're gonna uh, rip this audio and put it on itunes and other places that you get your audio podcast from thanks so much to owen and knox from the american suppressor association for coming in taking our questions taking you guys questions that was awesome of course richard from bwe firearms also great uh great time good having you here guys we will see you tomorrow we are out of here for now. Anyone has any final comments? Final comments from anyone before I hit the button? No. So now, now you got all the internet, nothing to say. Nothing to say. <laughs> Owen's got Everybody nothing. Frozen. <laughs> Was he frozen or just, oh, okay. <laughs> all right. I'm going to leave it at that. Thanks so much, guys. We'll see you all tomorrow. We're out. Peace.